Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Tuesday, July 9th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague Maya Dukmasova returns. We welcome indivisible activist Marge Halperin, and it's the return of ace attorney Jim Coogan. And now your host, if you have any legal <laughs> advice, do not oh, seek yeah. this oh, man. Oh. <laughs> if you want to like talk about Rahm Emanuel or something, go for it. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Where's Ronner When You Need Him Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yeah. <laughs> Great weekend. Great weekend. It was a long weekend. Very long right, weekend. Yeah. We had Fourth of July off, and D said, I'm kicking back. No show on Friday, all right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, come on, man. I want to play. Nope. So we took two days off, but plenty of bonus material. I don't want any excuses. Get down there and start listening to that bonus material. You're right? well-rested, Ben. <laughs> I am well-rested. I had a very nice weekend, very enjoyable weekend. Let's see. What did I do? <clears throat> I saw a movie. I believe Leah also saw the movie yesterday. Leah, thumbs up or thumbs down on yesterday? Big thumbs up. What movie did you see yesterday? So Dennis has a million. Yeah, of them. Who's on first? Oh, the movie is called Yesterday, but I actually saw it on Saturday. Uh, it's a movie about. Let's just put it this way: If you like the Beatles, you're going to love the movie. You agree with that? Yeah, definitely. A lot of great music. A lot of great music because it's. Beatles music, all right? If you don't like the Beatles, there's something wrong with you. Uh, and uh, very enjoyable. I uh, Some of the critics are saying, oh, it's a romantic comedy. Huh. What did you guys expect? You know, War and Peace? Good God. Anyway, so I uh, loved it. Also started watching season three of Stranger Things. Uh, you watch Stranger Things at all? I only watched the first season of Stranger Things, and so I'm just, not caught up. Yeah, not caught up. Okay, you got a, a whole second season to go. Anyway. Anytime I tried to watch it, it's just a bunch of kids riding their bike. That's it. I, well, <laughs> they yeah. talk about what they're going to do. It's just a bunch of kids talking about what they're going to do riding their bike. I kind of like that part of the show. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, my uh, I, I liked season one. did not like season two. It made one of my famous pronouncements that I'm not going to watch season three. And my wife said, come on. I watch Pulp Fiction. So you got to watch. And basketball every yeah. single time it's on. <laughs> I'm always dragging my wife to a bar. Well, that's something else we did. We watched the Bulls Summer League season. We went to a bar and watched game one. Boy, was that exciting. Yeah, for those who think, boy, who watches the Summer League thing? <laughs> ben Jarofsky. By the way, one of us, uh, one of our bonus uh, features is an interview. Uh, first time ever, Joe Cowley. We did a little sports. I said, hey, Dennis, there's uh, a package for you at the front desk. Oh, okay. And he left the studio. Well, Quick. The last time that's working on me. <laughs> anyway, go uh, if you want to know about the Bulls, uh, Joe Colley, good interview. Um, anyway, enjoying uh, Stranger Things uh, immensely, even though I 
was giving my wife such a hard time about it. And I woke up to discover what? More evidence of Republicans behaving badly. Uh, there is uh, Jeffrey Epstein. He's in the news. I guess he's sort of a bipartisan behaving badly. Uh, he's a Democrat. I'm not sure if he's a Democrat or Republican. He has friends uh, from both parties, including Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. How about that? Uh, what a sleazy guy facing uh, up to 45 years in prison and charges of abusing and trafficking underage girls. And uh, he got away with murder back in 2008 in Florida. Somehow or other, Florida, which is supposed to be so tough, on crime looked the other way when it was Jeffrey Epstein and the uh, prosecutor in that case is Donald Trump's the head of uh, I believe the labor department for Donald Trump so we'll be talking about that throughout the day with Maya and Marge and Jim Coogan uh, Jeffrey Epstein what a sleazoid but no Closer to home evidence of Republicans uh, behaving badly uh, with the Ricketts family in today's Tribune. Todd Ricketts, who's Mr. Republican in that family. Uh, he is, I believe, the finance chair of the Republican National Committee. And he loves Donald Trump the way I love fried chicken. All right. He loves Donald Trump. Uh, he's a real MAGA hat wearing Trumpster. Well, actually, he's from Wilmette. So I'm not sure that Trump's lovers in Wilmette wear the MAGA oh, hat. hell no. No, that's just like too ugh. Oh, no, I'm not going to wear the MAGA hat. So see, here's how it goes for Trump lovers. If you're a Trump lover in uh, Wilmette, you get the huge tax break. If you're a Trump lover in, let's say, Alton, you get to wear the MAGA hat. Got that, D? All right, Trump Trump taking care of his people. The rich people get the tax break, and the poor Trump lovers get to wear the MAGA hat. When was the last time you went to Alton again? Uh, never. <laughs> uh, anyway, I actually may have been through Alton once in a car driving. Highway 55? Um, can't remember the name of the oh. highway. Come on, man. I'm above that. All right. I wasn't even driving. I was listening to the music. Anyway, what a scam. The Tribune wrote all about it. Got to give a shout out to Hal Dardick, ace reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Come on, Tribune. Give Dardick a raise. This is a good story. Cubs co-owners property tax appeal under scrutiny. All right. Now, folks, uh, this is a scam of uh, this is just a magnificent scam that old boy Todd Ricketts apparently is running, uh, allegedly running. And so to understand the scam you need to know this your property taxes are by and large uh the creation of a tax rate multiplied by the the, the your property's value if, let's say if the tax rate's 10 percent and your home is valued at a hundred thousand dollars then you spend what's 10 percent of a hundred thousand dollars leah a thousand dollars Give that girl a raise. That's right. You pay $1,000. So the lower your property is valued, the less you pay in taxes. Okay. So follow me on this. Well, let me just read you the lead. I think it's $10,000. $10, you're right. <laughs> you know, I wasn't even paying attention to the answer. That would be correct. Uh, uh, hundred, they would be 10% uh, of $10,000. We're really good at podcasting, guys. <laughs> Not math. So here's the lead. For nearly a... <laughs> And I don't even know if we're really good at podcasting. For nearly a decade, Chicago Cubs co-owner Todd Ricketts has lived in a 5,000-square-foot North Shore house nestled on a meticulously landscaped lot complete with a Japanese-style garden. It's a showcase Wilmette home, a short walk from Lake Michigan. But it's not the home that Ricketts, who is also a finance chair of the Republican National Committee, has been paying taxes on. Instead, records show Ricketts pays property taxes based on the value of the much older and smaller house that he tore down to make way for the new one, providing him with a huge discount, likely totaling tens of thousands of dollars over the air. One more time, folks. 
He owned House A, which is a small house. He tore it down and built a mega mansion, call it Mansion A, only he, he never told the assessor, so he's paying taxes as though he's living in a small house, even though he's living in a mansion. How about those rickets, huh? Oh, if only they're so clever and diabolical and running the Cubs, maybe the Cubs wouldn't be so mediocre. Let's see what he has to say about it. I have to turn the page of the Tribune because they kind of have it, his explanation buried here on page six. Here we go. Here is Todd Ricketts' official explanation. Oh, wait a minute. Ricketts declined to be interviewed and did not answer a list of questions the Tribune submitted via email. His spokesman issued a statement. How about that? He's got a spokesman. Quote, when Mr. Ricketts purchased property in Wilmette more than 10 years ago, he filed all the necessary paperwork to build a new home. Later, he retained a real estate attorney to assist with issues regarding his real estate taxes and assumed everyone involved had the correct information. If a mistake was made, he will work in good faith to fix it. Okay. All right. That's great explanation. Oh, I didn't know. I made a mistake. I was unaware of that. Oh, boy. They probably hate the Tribune now. Uh, anyway, in my effort to be fair, D, I got to remind everybody that uh, Democrats have been caught at this game, too. How about that? Way to be fair. Uh, way to be fair. All right. J.B. Pritzker, governor of the state of Illinois. We're feeling, I'm feeling very good about J.B. these days uh, uh, for legalizing weed and uh, uh, and uh, coming up with uh, pushing for the fair tax. Anyway, Slow it on those boats buddy uh yeah. <laughs> come on i forgot about that yeah he was uh, cruising in uh lake geneva by the way we called it the wrong thing somebody uh did you notice that our facebook person corrected us we called it geneva lake and they go uh, it's like geneva. oh wow hey we love those listeners <laughs> all right anyway so J.B. Britzker had his own property tax issues. You recall his mansion on the Gold Coast. Uh, he, t- he took the toilets out and then said that they should pay less in property taxes because the, ca- the house was uninhabitable. Yeah, it's uninhabitable because you took the toilets out. We knew all about it because Bruce Rauner aired commercials day and night about Toilet Gate. Remember that, D? Toilet Gate. And he had the oh, Pritzker yeah. plumbers. We had a lot of fun with that one for a long time back when we were at the other. I think it was called 2018 on the Vindorovsky show. <laughs> we talked about it endlessly. So anyway, it's fair is fair, all right? But uh, hey, Bruce Rauner, it's awfully quiet on the Bruce Rauner front. We're talking about the Ricketts. Isn't that interesting? He was all fired up about property tax scams when it was J.B. Pritzker. Doesn't have a thing to say when it's the head of the Republican Finance Committee doing it. Mm -mm -mm. That's the problem with Republicans, D. They're never around when you need them. We got a great show today, everybody. We have Maya coming in. Oh, yeah, Maya will be in here in about 15 minutes or so, talking all the local issues today. Actually, I think she also wants to talk some national issues. Maya Duke Masava of the Chicago Reader? Yeah. That's a podcaster. <laughs> I just assumed that uh, everybody knew who Maya was. She's yeah. a regular on every Tuesday in the Ben Drosky Show. Uh, Marge Hopper, and we're making her debut on the podcast. She was on the old show that we used to have. She's the head of Indivisible, or one of the leaders. Maya, Marge doesn't like it when I say she's the head, but she's one of the leaders of the Indivisible Chicago movement and uh, was participating very active in the 4th of July protests against Donald John Trump. I'll be talking to her about national issues, the upcoming campaigns, best strategy to beat Trump. Uh, Marge is uh, very informed, knows her politics real well. Of course, Jim Coogan, the legendary Jim Coogan, will be here at 2.30. Of Dwyer Coogan, our ace attorney. Legal talk, eagle. Legal eagle. We'll talk about all the legal issues today. I'm going to ask him, how in the world did Jeffrey Epstein get such a favorable deal out of Florida? And how which, are you so cool, Jim Coogan? 
We'll ask him that cool one. Cool as a too. cucumber. Yeah, we'll ask him that one as oh, well. Hey. <laughs> so plenty of legal issues to talk about with Jim Coogan uh, at 2.30. And uh, maybe Marge will stick around and join the conversation on Jeffrey Epstein. Anyway, that's our, our show for today. A lot of political talk, local, national, and state. But before we do any of that, the doctor with the news. How's it going, everybody? Not a doctor. Name's Dennis. Live stream chat. How's it going? Bruce, Bruce, Pat, Rod, Tom. Tom, are you new to the live stream chat? How's it going? He let us know. Uh, he gave us a 2020 presidential candidate update on Andrew Yang. He hit 3% in most recent Emerson poll. Wow. Emerson, Andrew- Emerson poll? Yeah. Like where, where where you go to college? Yeah, we have a good uh, polling club. Wow. Dang. Did not know any of that. Yeah. 3%. That means he gets to be in the next debate. Andrew Yang, a.k.a. that chill dude at that last debate who had his hands in his pockets the entire time. He's already in the debate though right so it's the third uh yeah the third excuse me right um okay we corrected her on her mathematics and now she corrects me in the debate that it would absolutely correct the september debate i'm all fired up for the july 30th and 31st debates we already have our shows lined up on that one by the way i'm way ahead of the curve oh my if you're listening live join us on the live stream chat okay it's the middle of the day hope you enjoyed your holiday weekend by the way everybody yeah it's over it's time to catch up on all that national news happening uh and we begin with some sad news ross Perot, the two-time independent candidate for president, has died after his battle with leukemia. Perot was diagnosed with leukemia in February. He was 89 years old. In the 1996 election, Ross Perot won 8.4% of the popular vote against President Clinton and Republican nominee Bob Dole. Ben, Perot has to be one of the top third-party candidates of all time, yeah, is he not? absolutely. Well, and, and uh, even beyond 96, 92, uh, when uh, Daddy Bush was running against Clinton, Clinton's first uh, run, I, to this day, get a lot of arguments from clinton lovers i know a lot of clinton lovers uh, i i say that daddy bush would have won that election if uh, ross perot had not been a candidate in that race i think he took close to 20 percent. i'm doing this off the top of my head in 92 and uh, he had a great moment in the debates that sucking sound i don't know if you remember that that sucking sound uh and uh yeah, he uh, he was a populist. If it's one of these, he was like Trump before Trump. I mean, he wasn't as offensive as Trump, and he had a little more dignity than Trump. Uh, but he had this sort of a populist spiel, even though he was a gazillionaire. Actually, he's probably not tr- like Trump because he really was a gazillionaire, where it's just, we don't know. With Trump is just a huckster. Yeah, I don't think uh, anybody is Trump before Trump. This guy's just a, yeah. his own special little person. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, kind of beefy guy, Trump. I wouldn't call him little. He's a big fella. Oh. Uh, all right. Got to stop eating those Big Macs, Trump. I love them. Uh, and uh, so anyway. I'm Ross, loving it. Uh, Bill Clinton uh, should uh, always have some appreciation for Ross Perot. I stand by this. I know my Clinton lovers out there insist uh, no. No, no, no. Clinton would have won anyway. Bill Clinton would not have been president of the United States if Ross Perot, in my humble opinion, once did not run that third party campaign. Once again, Ross Perot has passed away at 89. And you don't care about anything but making money. There will be a giant sucking sound going south. So we, if, if the people send me to Washington, the first thing I'll do is study that 2000 page agreement and make sure it's a two way street. Yeah, giant sucking signs. How about NAFTA? Yeah, and uh, uh, I'll tell you this right now. Just the rhetoric he used in terms of talking about the uh, inequity of the wages uh, and the lack of environmental oversight, you would never hear that from Donald Trump. So uh, I I think we've deteriorated uh, in the realm of uh, wealthy businessmen um, acting as populists. All right, moving on. President Donald Trump. And, you know, sometimes it really does feel like we're just reading from uh, the gossip column on a high school newspaper with this guy. Donald Trump has lashed out at U.K. Ambassador Sir Kim Darish and called him, quote, 
a very stupid guy. <laughs> so apparently some uh, memos leaked to this guy called Trump inept and dysfunctional. And hey, what better way to prove him wrong by replying on Twitter? He called him uh, the wacky ambassador saying, quote, he should just speak to his country and Prime Minister May about their fault Brexit negotiation and not be upset with my criticism of how badly it was handled. He also called Prime Minister Theresa May foolish. Our president, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, our president, and I think he's figured it out that that fires up his base. Pick a fight with some uh, foreign leader, and then he can say, look at me, how tough I am. He was cutting deals with Putin, and he owes his entire election to Putin. So, slick move by President Trump. In other news, Ben, do you hear that noise? Listen, you hear it? Listen. Yeah, that's Senate uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell (laughs) quivering in his loafers. Wait, that's actually not bad. He has a new challenger to a Senate seat. Amy McGrath, a retired Marine fighter pilot, will run against Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in the 2020 election. In an announcement video released on Tuesday that we're not going to play, McGrath recalled writing a letter to McConnell as a 13-year-old girl detailing her wish to fly combat jets for the U.S., He never wrote back, McGrath said in the video. I'm Amy McGrath, and I've often wondered how many other people did Mitch McConnell never take the time to write back or even think about. Now, I I have not seen this story. You caught me off guard with this one. I hadn't seen. She is running against him as a Democrat. Is that correct, young man? Uh, Or is she running in the Republican primary? Uh, Because uh, if if she's running against him as a Democrat, man, that would be fun. Uh, In 2020, uh, election night, to have... Whoever the Democrat is beat uh, Donald Trump and then who have Amy McGrath defeat Mitch McConnell. That'd be a two for Democrats would be going crazy. I know Leo would be throwing confetti in the air. So uh, good for her. Wait, me ask Marge. I'm going to write that down. Ask Marge Halpern about Amy McGrath. Got it. Oh, great content yeah. there. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, and this just in from Mitch McConnell. <laughs> no words. Just awkward quivering noises. Uh, right. that, by the way, in the debate, if you recall, that was the the one question. I can't remember. It was the first debate or the second debate where the um, questioners asked the candidates, the Democratic candidates, what are you going to do about Mitch McConnell? And they really didn't have an explanation. I think Marion Williamson it was like, I, her explanation, I'm going to beam out love vibes or something like that. That was her explanation. I, I don't recall anybody had a good explanation is how to deal with McConnell if he's still there. So Amy McGrath may settle that deal once and for all. By the way, uh, she is a Democrat, Amy McGrath. All right, good to know that. And finally, something we can all agree on. uh, Let's see here. uh, Mitch McConnell's counterpart, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, joined calls for Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta's resignation on Tuesday over his role in securing a 2008 plea deal for creep Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire financier charged with operating an underage sex trafficking ring involving underage girls here's the quote from schumer quote it's not well, it's now impossible for anyone to have confidence in secretary acosta's ability to lead the department of labor if he refuses to resign president trump should fire him mm, yeah yeah i i uh, i do believe there should be some kind of investigation about that deal that was pretty slimy and sleazy and again uh, both parties are implicated in it to a certain degree because bill clinton was pals with jeffrey epstein so on the Ben Jurassic Show, we're fair, okay? We point these things out. Uh, shame, shame, shame on you, Bill Clinton, for hanging around with a sleazoid uh, like Jeffrey uh, Epstein. But uh, Donald Trump, man, not, you not only were hanging around with him, not only did you praise him in an interview, but uh, your, your uh, labor secretary, Acosta, was the prosecutor who signed on to that terrible deal. 
Uh, it's a disgrace uh, across the board. I'm gra- glad the feds are finally getting around uh, to going after him and uh, throw him in jail. That's where he belongs. Now, typically, this is the time where I would tell all of you to stick around because coming up next, we're going to find out what's going on locally. We're going to find out what else is news. I'd play a little break and everything. But since there really isn't much pressing news to discuss in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon and tons of 2020 Democratic presidential candidate updates, we're going to keep talking national news. But first, we do have an Alderman Kerry Austin update. Remember, it was three weeks ago when Alderman Kerry Austin's ward office, Ben, what ward? Th- Come on, 34th. He's a huge dork, guys. He knew that without <laughs> even looking it up. It was three weeks ago when Alderman Kerry Austin's ward office was raided by the FBI. Yeah. And just like the FBI raid of Alderman Ed Burke late last year, we now wait to find out exactly what the hell Kerry Austin did. Still no answer to that question, but thanks to the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman, we have now learned that an audit shows that Kerry Austin spent $352,629 more than the budget committee was allowed. That included Austin placing Chester Wilson, her 34th, her 34th ward chief of staff, on the committee payroll at an annual salary, uh, salary eh, we've had a few days off, an annual salary of $118,400. Carrie Austin could not be reached for comment, but this next little factoid doesn't help her look too awesome. The only other committee to record significant Mm -hmm. overspending like Austin was the zoning committee, which was chaired by disgraced former alderman Danny Solis of the 25th Ward. Yeah, Danny Solis, I'm reading the Fran Spielman's uh, story, exceeded his $400,000 budget by $48,000, about 12%. I love it when they do the uh, percentages. I'm obsessive with percentages, too. I'm always doing percentages and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, the city council, uh, we talked about this with Maya mm, about a couple of weeks ago. We'll probably talk about it again today. Uh, the city council uh, committee's uh, structure is where they, you know, they they bury a lot of employees. That's why the city, uh, the alderman, uh, was was uh, swear their allegiance to Mayor Rahm. He put them in charge of a committee. Right there is some problem with that. He's the executive. They're the legislative. He shouldn't be picking uh, the heads of committees. But anyway, he put them in charge of a committee. A committee gets a little extra budget to do whatever they're going to do, which mean, generally means employ somebody and uh, make sure that they do not in any way challenge Mayor Rahm on any issue. We'll see if that's changed under Lori Lightfoot, uh, if they're more be, be more vigorous in their oversight, etc. And apparently, uh, Carrie Austin, yeah, she was uh, $352,000. I don't know where that money came from, by the way. I mean, under this, oh, up there it is, the, under the table money, you know. They, are, I, I don't know where they got the three hundred fifty. Back in the, I learned a lot of lessons in the old days. They would tell me Mayor Daly, the way he would do it is that uh, his budget would uh, like call for a hundred employees uh, in streets and sanitation, and they would only have fifty employees in streets and sanitation, and so you'd be paying for employees who were not actually on the payroll, and then they have money to spend on other things like I don't know a city council budget. So uh, that's uh, your tax dollars at play in the city of Chicago, everybody. All right. As Ben said, we do have Maya Dukmasova in the studio. You guys more than likely be talking about that a little later on. All right. Democratic presidential candidate update time. We had our first candidate drop out of the race while we were away, Ben. Our first Democratic candidate out is a guy who, well... Really seemed to strike a nerve with you, Ben Jarofsky, <laughs> after their first debate. Yeah. It's this guy. I was six years old uh. when a presidential candidate came to the California Democratic Convention and said, it's time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans. That candidate was then Senator Joe Biden. He's still right today. If we're going to solve the issues of automation, pass 
pass the torch. California Senator Eric Swalwell is out of the race. Yeah, I was no a fan of Eric Swalwell from the pass the torch thing. You know, as an old geezer, I'm like sympathetic to old geezers to a certain degree. But then he was like, pass. That was his whole thing. And then he it was something annoying about him, even beyond being mean to old geezers. It was just he, he, when he interrupted, it was really annoying. Like, they, were, they were all of them to a certain degree were uh, annoying when they interrupted. Uh, but he was particularly uh, annoying because he would always be interrupting to say, you're old. That's what kind of what he was saying so you know i'm not really sad to see eric swallow uh out of the race and i'll tell you what biden looked like he was ready to smack him upside his head when he talked don't talk to me about that old stuff sonny <laughs> all right i'll take that torch and stick it hey biden watch get me. back to the kids table <laughs> get back to the kids table and i don't know about anybody else but i will be watching all right swalwell's out now which candidate has the wrinkliest suit in this thing that dude had a wrinkly suit in the debate than the last one <laughs> I did not even notice Oh, my that. God. Go back and watch it, man. You'll see it. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. And so one candidate out. And uh, we have actually another candidate joining yeah, the race here. Caught me off guard. Oh uh, yeah, it caught uh, all of us off guard here. In fact, I can't find out where my news is. It caught me off so off guard here. All right. So Swalwell out now. We got drumroll billionaire environmental activist Tom Steyer. Mm-hmm. He's formally launched his campaign for president, framing himself as quote. An outsider who has, quote, led grassroots efforts that have taken on big corporations and won results for people. Steyer made his bid official, like they all do, in an announcement video released on Tuesday. We're not playing it, but the video calls for eradicating the influence of corporations on U.S. politics. Yeah, Steyer's an interesting guy. I'm I'm really uh, surprised that he's running for president. I saw that he was thinking about it, and then you broke the news to me, D, when I walked in. Steyer, of course, uh, was funding the campaign to impeach Donald Trump. That was his big issue. And I thought that he would stay on the sidelines. I thought he announced about six or seven months ago that he wasn't running for president uh, and that this well, with Swalwell out of the game is changed. <laughs> that all important. You're old Joe Biden vote. Uh, he's going for that. Actually, uh, Steyer is more like my age. He really can't advance uh, the you're old Joe uh, campaign. But I'm a little surprised it isn't. A ra- and I don't know what the rules are in terms of getting into these next debates. Uh, is it... Uh, I mean, I guess I guess the same rules apply to him. Uh, you know, if he has a certain number of con- uh, contributions and if he's a, he, if he's over two percent in the polls or whatever it is, uh, he's eligible to get in the d- debates because it's key. He got to get on that stage, Dean. It's so late in the game to be jumping in. So I'm not really quite sure what his uh, road to victory is, but uh, whatever. It's free country. Man wants to run for president. Can't stop him. All right. We have a lot of 2020 presidential candidate updates where that came from, but we're going to put it on Paul's for now. Uh, The Joe Biden video from CNN is what I'm going to try and play a little later on for everybody. Very interesting. He was talking about uh, the interaction he had with Kamala Harris and uh, very interesting. It'd be great to hear everybody's take on that, but uh, we're going to take a break now. So stick around, everybody. All right, very good. We have Maya sitting back. Uh, we're going to bring her on to talk about local politics, national politics, whatever's on her mind. And, D, I just want to say one thing. What? Something that Eric Swalwell, it's Tom Steyer, and Joe Biden all agree on. You did a great job. Give us a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Maya sitting there. We'll bring her on when we return. The Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live. Maya in the studio with me. Maya, uh, I have a whole list of things <laughs> that I want to talk about, and including Trump and uh, Biden and Kerry Austin and the environment. It said in Florida and the environment <laughs> and all these things. And then it, I, it just popped in my mind uh, that um, a conversation we had, I think it was a couple days ago or something, uh, and, and that my, uh, I want to promote that Michael Dorff, who is an ace? Uh, can't even talk. An ace election lawyer will be on the stu- uh, in the show uh, in studio. We'll do a bonus segment. He wrote a book about Sydney Yates, Congressman Sydney Yates, and I know that's uh, not something you know a lot about. Uh, but uh, he is. I may. Uh, By the way, for those listening, Ben is saying that because I just told him <laughs> before we got back on the mics that I don't know a lot about Sydney Yates. So it's not him assuming that I don't know anything about Sydney Yates. Yeah, I just true. feel like for my ladies out there. No, rest assured, this isn't just some casual sexism. Okay. <laughs> As opposed to non-casual sexism. Uh, no, I would never assume that Maya is not really well-versed in everything about Sydney Yates. Uh, because I just work from the assumption uh, that I know that about you would know Sydney everything, Yates. Even though I, I believe he left office before you were born. Uh, but Sydney Yates is a uh, a legendary North... Well, I strike legendary. He was a North Side congressman. He was uh, the congressman in the Ninth Congress. District uh, before Jan Schakowsky, when he retired, Jan Schakowsky was elected. She's been around forever now. Yeah, so I that, know about Jan. Yeah, you know about Jan. And so the the before Jan, there was Sydney. Anyway, uh, Dorf wrote a book about uh, Sydney Yates. He mm-hmm. worked for Sydney Yates. That's when I first met Michael Dorf when he was working for Sydney Yates. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a guest. But you know Dorf for his in his curtain role because he was the election lawyer for the young feller who was running the 13th. Oh. Oh, for so many people, yeah. I, we, I met Michael Dorf in the bowels of the uh, county building uh, during the hearings that the election board was having um, about you know peti- petition challenges for people trying to get on the ballot um, 
this last election cycle for for all demanding candidates. And uh, yeah, he represented uh, Dave Krupa, the 19 year old kid challenging Marty Quinn in the 13th Ward. And uh, I think he did his best for him. I mean, Dave made it on the ballot, uh, barely got any votes, but um, Dorf really believed that what Marty Quinn's people were doing was obscene and ridiculous and way beyond the typical sort of um, kind of heavy handed stretching of what's allowed as you're campaigning and, and gathering petition signatures because essentially Quinn's people had so so Krupa had collected all these petition signatures and then Quinn's people had gone around asking people to sign affidavits retracting their petition signatures and they collected more retractions than Krupa had signatures. Uh, they also approached people like this is what I heard from people in the 13th Ward that they had been approached like over and over and over again to try to like sign these affidavits retracting their signatures. So um, yeah, this this is just like, you know, a real, real uh, kind of like dirty play on the part of like one of the most powerful political figures in our state uh, and the city, you know, uh, he kind of moves in silence. But Marty Quinn is a really powerful guy and he's Madigan. He is Madigan's alderman. He's Madigan's kind of right hand man um, to, to to go after this this 19 year old kid who was like, I don't even know what getting money from some right wing type interests uh <laughs> not clearly not enough of it anyway to go after him in this manner was like really kind of uh i would i dwarf seemed to think it was overkill you know it just seemed it everyone observing this thought it was really beneath marty quinn that this is the, it like shows a kind of crack in the strength of madigan's machine that they needed to go to these lengths to like try to prevent this kid from getting on the ballot. It seemed like it was more about trying to send a message about what will happen to you if you try to get on the ballot. Anyway, it was all stupid. So Dorf represented this kid. He also represented Joe Moore. <laughs> and at one point I asked him, I was like, look, like, I mean, uh, given what was going on in the 49th Ward with Maria Haddon running and kind of the progressive, the agitation up in Rogers Park, I was just, you know, sort of perplexed that Dorf, who seemed like kind of a progressive guy himself, was like still kind of riding hard for Joe Moore. And he seemed really sincere in his love and support for Joe. So, you know, that didn't work out. Um, Wait, now he was representing Joe in terms of knocking people off the ballot. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So so that's this is election law in Chicago, everybody. On one hand, uh, he is defending the, the, the baby alderman, a candidate Krupa, uh, from an attack from Mac Madigan's forces. Yeah. So he's acting as a defense attorney, sort of. And then he's acting a bit as a prosecutor uh, in leading Joe Moore's charges uh, to knock uh, potential opponents off the ballot. So that's how election lawyers swing in here. Yeah. They, they go either way. Yeah. But overall, he struck me as a has a very kind of knowledgeable um, and friendly guy who just uh, it really enjoys this sort of gamesmanship of election law. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole thing. And it's, it's the interesting thing is that Sid Yates uh, was your basic conventional uh, Chicago liberal who went off to Congress. It's my favorite little themes here, Maya, and then just ignored local politics so in other words uh, he wasn't going to get involved in primaries uh he wasn't going to get involved in insurrections against the machine he stayed out of like harold washington's race and the mayor daily race just ignored it 
because uh, the conventional wisdom of a congressional uh, candidate or a congressman or congresswoman is that you want everybody to support you. So you, if, it's, if there's factionalism on the home front, you want the people who are, let's say, for Lori Lightfoot to support you, and you want the people who are for Tony Preckwinkle to support you, just not going to get involved. Which is, uh, I, I don't know, I feel like it's so cowardly. I've always, I've, I've often wondered about this, about the way that, like, especially Congress people, I mean, senators, I can understand it more. They're, 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 and I feel like Dick Durbin gets out there pretty strongly about stuff and Tammy Duckworth, too. I mean, they're people who are really on a national, de- dealing with national level issues and pretty, pretty at the forefront of a lot of conversations. So I feel like they're, they're doing um, the state justice in their representation. I mean, they could always be doing more, but I just, I'm not, I don't generally feel disappointed by the way that they operate. But the Congress people, especially from the Chicago area, it's just like, I'm, I, it never see, it stops amazing me how, the, how disengaged they are and how like, yeah, like they're just like, they're like unplugged. It's like they go to Congress to retire. And some of them are like, <clears throat> you know, demonstrate some leadership on, on a national stage, you know, Jan, Jan Schakowsky to a certain extent has, has been visible on some issues and tried to, you know, she's, She's been out there, but like, you know, like Mike Quigley and I mean, Chewy, like Chewy, like Chewy Garcia is a freshman in this, in this Congress, right? Like with like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and like all these like extremely like people who are just like magnets, who are just like not coming in there quietly. What We haven't heard a peep out of Chewy. Like, what is Chewy doing? And I mean, this is what everybody said when he, when, when, you know, the, 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 the crown was sort of passed from Luis Gutierrez to Chewy. It was just like, well, here, there he goes, like retiring in place essentially, you know? Um, so yeah, I, 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 I don't, again, like, I don't know much about Sid Yates, but if you're, you seem to be describing the same sort of pattern. So I don't, you know, why, why are we supposed to care about this well, guy? Well, Sydney Yates, uh, well, and oh, thanks for really helping me promote the Michael Dorff interview. But uh, Sydney Yates was a champion of the arts. And uh, in the 1980s, the role he played was to defend federal financing of arts. Uh, and this was in the age of protest artists who were really riling up of the Republicans with artwork that uh, they thought was anti-religious, mm. anti-American, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Sidney Yates was sort of taking the First Amendment attitude about free expression mm-hmm. and that uh, we should not punish pe- artists for... It's so ironic that Republicans were such believers uh, in the First Amendment and free expression when they want to insult women or blacks or gays, etc., or when make up stories about uh, uh, the uh, Sandy Hook uh, murders. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're big believers in First Amendment there, but when it comes to First Amendment and controversial uh, artwork that uh, is unflattering in terms of the way it depicts either America or the Catholic Church or what have you, uh, they're they don't want that. You know, that, then shut down the First Amendment. Anyway, Sidney Yates uh, had a very important role on that front. So he did. He used his position in Washington. I, I would argue uh, for 
uh, he used his power and his position of authority uh, through the committee structure in a positive way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in that way, he is a good example, I think. I think that to defend the committee uh, structure that we have, where it's seniority, it's all seniority based, you need a congressperson uh, who is actually willing to take a strong stand on uh, you know like a particular issue of importance that maybe I don't know that that, that Donald Trump is trying to go after mm -hmm. and, and again on immigration would be a classic case if so imagine a Chicago congressman or congresswoman who would be leading the charge uh, against Donald Trump's immigration well, policy. Well, Luis Gutierrez was kind of that person uh, in his own flawed ways, but yeah, he was, he was like, lead, he was, he, he was just, he was like vocal, you know, he, he was, he made himself known on these issues and he had, I guess he had enough clout to, to, to do that kind of thing. But, you know, he we did have, that under, against Obama as well. Yeah. So anyway, uh, maybe you should save this conversation with Michael Dorff. Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, when it, yeah, uh, it, because, yeah, I don't know if Michael Dorff would. But the interesting thing about Michael Dorff, before I get to the issues of the day, is like as an election lawyer, uh, he's one of those few election lawyers who will work against Michael Madigan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Michael Madigan. Uh, God, it, I'd love to see him. And what's his name in a room? Who's Madigan's lawyer? I saw him Casper, the other day on two the train. Michaels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also wears bow ties. I'm gonna start wearing a bow. I'm gonna bow wear a bow wars. tie. Oh, if you wear a bow tie, I quit. <laughs> bow tie wars. Uh, bow ties and politics do not mix. You, yeah. want, you want me to laugh? Wear a bow tie. No, Dorf. All right, don't laugh at Dorf when he comes in here because he's gonna be wearing a bow tie. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. He wears right. nice bow ties, yeah. and Casper also wears bow ties. I feel like I saw him the other day on at the uh, I guess like about a week ago. On, on the red line somewhere. Wasn't Casper representing uh, Marty Quinn? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it would be Casper versus Dorf, yeah. Bowtie versus Bowtie. Yeah, it's true. Uh, all right, now let's move on. To, uh, something you said to me earlier today, you were talking about, in your humble opinion, the best way uh, to beat Donald Trump. And I wrote this down. I want to, I want you to share this. Yeah, I was kind of pondering this over the last um, over the last week or so. I started listening to this podcast called Eating for Free, which I cannot recommend enough to everybody out there. It's like a, kind of a newer, I, I guess it, it's been around for maybe like 18 months, but I just discovered it. But it's sort of a very interesting, um, it's like a conversation between um, these two uh, queer writers who and journalists who uh, just talk about sort of pop culture and just issues of the day um, and analyze about all the ways in which like capitalism is insidiously operating through things as simple as like YouTube child celebrities and all this other stuff. But they, but they, you know, they talk about politics a lot. And, and um, anyway, in the, the, one of the episodes I was listening to talked about how uh, people that are like the A Alex Jones, Infowars, Sandy Hook conspiracy theory people are like sort of the same kind of people as like anti-vaxxers or like people who are, uh, you know, b believe all kinds of crazy health claims that Gwyneth Paltrow was making with her like goop, you know, empire mm -hmm. that, that it's like, it's sort of like two ends of the same spectrum. Um, uh, and it got me thinking, it's like, yeah, like th there's a, this, you know, this whole notion of like the paranoid style in American politics, this way in which that like, like American political life and, and, and elections are like animated by a sort of, um, 
you know, these like cultural attitudes that ebb and flow and, and kind of paranoia and fears that course through people. And this is, again, what Marianne Williamson was talking about on the debate stage of like the way that Donald Trump was harnessing people's fears. So, you know, I just it, I thought to myself, like to in order to beat Trump, you need to have some kind of message that goes straight to the heart of this sort of like whatever is animating the like id coursing through the like people as apparently divergent as like the Alex Jones conspiracy theorists and the like uh you know I don't know millennials who are trying to heal their cancer with crystals like it's 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 just like uh there's something similar that courses through all these different spheres of society where people are just like they you know they're they're there may be low information voters. They may be in a principle, fundamental way, like animated by a lot of fears and misconceptions about the country and whatever Trump was saying to, you know, the broadcasting in the world appealed to a lot of people um, because it's struck at this like deeper thing. So on the one hand, it's like, can somebody out outdo Trump in terms of like harnessing whatever that like subconscious flow is that whatever that specific type of paranoia is that's happening like in our country right now it seems like a very tall order for for anybody that's on the democratic stage right now to successfully harness that because it's like you have to like balance like anti-establishment anti-authority like anti uh, kind of authority views a deep skepticism about the state um like a a deep distrust of the state for a lot of like good reasons um you know helplessness uh again like fear white supremacy like all of this stuff like it's a it's a lot to um harness and try to wield in in support of like a different person so there's Okay, so one strategy is trying to go after that, you know, under, you know, the guise of appealing to people's better natures. Uh, That's a really, it's a really hard thing to do. Or, like, what we need is, like, a, a voter registration and get out the vote effort of absolutely historic proportions. Because, like, these people who are excited about voting right now and voting for Trump are like, they're probably in the minority in the country. Like most people do not care, aren't paying attention, don't have access, easy access to voting, aren't able to register, are, are actively getting suppressed from voting mm-hmm. in all these different ways. And so like, you know, that's really serious. And I, and I think that like this, I don't know. It seems to me that the country would be better off if we got more people involved and engaged. But 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 the depth of the crisis is so extreme that you that that you really have to like it can't just be your messaging from TV and telling people to go out and vote and giving them like this isn't like Obama, you know, I'm feeling so good about this that I'm going to get out there. Like this needs to be like an a boots on the ground, like very intensive effort, like of the magnitude of like the civil rights era Mm -hmm. of just like getting people registered, taking people to the polls, like feeding them, taking them to the polls, you know, like get, getting people who are just like so beaten down by the circumstances of our lives in this country right now to, to, to get them out to the polls. And I don't see any of these candidates 
having a ground game operation set up because you need to mobilize that now. Okay. Well, I, I agree with you. And uh, I would I would say that uh, the leaders of such an effort would be beyond an individual campaign. It would be the Democratic Party itself, uh, Tom Perez's Democratic Party mm. itself. Mm-hmm. And this gets back to the Michael Dorff election law mm-hmm. lawyer. And you know me on this subject. This is one of my favorite themes. I've been writing about this for years at The Reader. Everything... I, I've start, spent so much of my time, Maya, looking at the local level and then taking it national mm-hmm. as opposed to the other way. Yeah. And so much of our efforts on the local level have been to, to stifle turnout, stifle democracy, deter people from voting, mm-hmm. uh, make it harder uh, for them to vote. And in the national context, it's like child's play around here. Like it's, it is it's, so easy to vote here yeah. and get registered and do this thing but, here. But, right. But the, the impact is much, it, listen, they want to deter you from even running. Think about what you just mm-hmm. said. Uh, instead of just allowing this kid Krupa to run against him and get clobbered, which he would have gotten clobbered. He did he get did clobbered. get clobbered yeah. anyway. He would have got clobbered if they challenged him or not. Marty Quinn, Michael Madigan's chief political operative, that's what he is, he's also an alderman, decided to sick an election lawyer on him and tr- and trump up, no pun intended, a case against him that was so blatantly trumped up well, and ridiculous. Well, and mobilize so many people to like build this yeah. sham case yeah. against him. So I think that's a step back <laughs> from what you're talking about. That's deterring somebody from running. That's deterring from somebody from believing that you can win. And I'm not saying that Michael Madigan should roll over and let people defeat him or or defeat his allies. I'm saying that he should realize and recognize, which he probably doesn't care about, is that his efforts to stifle any kind of dissent are anti-democratic, small d democratic. And so it works against the effort, what you're talking about. So like... like every four years, uh, the Democrats will say, come on out and vote. You've got to vote. And they'll implore people to vote. And they'll spend the, the, the previous four years doing everything they can to stifle any kind of participation in politics because they want what they want to uh, they want to own it all. And so I agree with you uh, that that's what the Democrats have to do. They have to engage the people who would normally vote Democratic. They have to get them to the polls. They have to get them registered, get them to the polls. Uh, but it's the, hard the, to do it's that. Not when even, it completely- and it's, right. And it's not even like it's not even the people who would vote Democratic. You can't. I, what I'm talking about, I think it, it needs to be on a scale that you wouldn't even be able to assume that. Like, you, I mean, I personally think that if everybody who could vote voted Democrats would win all the time. I think most people who don't vote have views that are probably more reflected by Democratic candidates. But and this is why the Republicans are like obsessed with gerrymandering. And, you know, they know this. They know. And this country is changing. Like this country is becoming less white. It's becoming people are more uh less provincial. You know, they're more connected. They, they, They learn about other ways that things could be it's easier to learn about that now than ever. Mm-hmm. So, but, but it's, yeah, but it's like, it doesn't, it's, it can't even be like a partisan thing. This is like a, this is like about the survival of our society. You know what I mean? Like, this is like, uh, it, the, 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 the level of engagement there needs to be happening to register people to vote and, and get them to the polls and get them voting is, is like, there just needs to be like a massive, massive amount of resources dedicated to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know, it's like, and it's it was, like literacy. 
It's like it's like what socialist governments have done to bring literacy mm-hmm. to societies once they've taken over. And this happened like, you know, in the Soviet Union, this happened in Cuba, this happened in Venezuela, whenever you've had these like kind of like socialist revolutions happen in societies where there's like I- incredibly immense I- inequality between the rich and the poor. And like the number one first problem is that people can't read. Yeah. So you have to like that, like the, the first, if you're gonna transform a society, like people have to be literate. So this is like the same thing with voting. It's like you, you yeah, it's like it, it doesn't even it's like so transcends partisanship. Yeah, well, and 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 the Democrats, again, it's just not an easy thing because to uh, to take this sort of deep dive initiative that you're describing uh, would require resources and effort, but also it's just to overcome a mentality, a mental block that people have who don't feel as though there's any point in voting or don't want to register because they're worried about what would happen when they officially give their name and ID ID, uh, to the government. But they have a driver's license. You know what I mean? Like they have there are plenty of people who, you know, there's people that don't believe in paying their taxes or registering with the government and, you know, quote unquote, sovereign citizens or whatever. Like, yes, people like that exist. But like most people see that there, there's certain ways you have to engage with the state. Yeah. Well, I I have to say this, that if I'm thinking of the message Mm. And that started off with you talking about a message that would encourage people to get out uh, and want to vote and want to participate. Right now, I say this all the time, and everybody that comes in here disagrees with me, and I'm sure you will too as well. March Halpern will probably roll in and disagree with me as well, but I'm convinced this more and more. It's just anti-Trump. When I talk to people out there uh, who are the, even vaguely Democratic, even if they don't, aren't registered, they hate Trump. They hate what it represents. No, I mean, and, and maybe here, you know, I, I everywhere I go, if you're if you're not with him, you're against him. most people I know outside of Chicago who don't vote are. And I'm talking about places like really not coastal, you know, kind of sophisticated, super educated types of types of environments like people agree with Trump on a lot of things. And a lot of that has to do oftentimes with like people's family dynamics, what kind of mental concessions they've had to make in order to like get along with their older relatives watching Fox News. Like people are actually, I think a lot more forgiving of Trump than what we here in Chicago think. This is 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 an unusual place. In much of the rest of the country, most people don't give a crap about voting, but I think a lot of people also are not that perturbed by Trump. I, re- I really think so. Well, uh, like I said, pretty much everybody disagrees with me on but this But here's the other thing, point. though. Here's the other thing I want to <laughs> say. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. This is something that was discussed mm-hmm. on this week's episode of This American Life, and I thought it was interesting. I'd never thought about this before. But so in addition to having like the 25 uh, Democratic candidates who are, you know, trying to compete in this primary, there is also a Republican primary. And the assumption is that Trump is going to be the nominee, obviously, but there, there is at least one or two candidates on the Republican side, um, I guess, who are trying to primary him. And the, the they had a, um, uh, I forgot who, who it was on, on, on This American Life that was, that was getting interviewed about this, but it's like a Republican strategist who's mm-hmm. like very 
very much trying to unseat Trump and the candidate he's supporting, the, the, like what history has shown is that like when you have an incumbent who gets primaried, yeah. the primary challenger never beats the incumbent for the nomination. Yeah. But every time that there's been a primary challenger, mm-hmm. the, like the opposite party has won. So it, it hurts the incumbent to have a primary challenger, even if that primary challenger doesn't win. Absolutely. So yeah. to be a primary challenger to an incumbent is sort of like this like sacrificial act. It's like you, it's like you put yourself out there in order to not get anywhere because you know it'll hurt the incumbent. Yeah. So these like, this Republican strategist was saying that like, well, yes, okay, the number one goal is like, maybe we can actually get this nomination and for Trump not to be the Republican party nominee, but they would settle for like a Democrat winning if they could bring down Trump with this, with this like challenge from his own party. Yeah. And history shown has shown that it's happened every time, that it's worked every time. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we were talking about uh, earlier the, the 1992, we were, uh, Ross Perot just uh, passed and mm-hmm. we were reminiscing before you came here uh, about the uh, impact he had in 1992. I'm convinced that his participation uh, in that uh, that election led to Bill Clinton's yeah. uh, uh, being, being elected president. But I can't forget that Patrick Buchanan, uh, to your point, ran against George Herbert Walker Bush mm-hmm. in the Republican primary yeah. and that weakened Bush because he had the attack from the right, yep. he had to move to the right, which uh, to, to placate that faction of the Republican Party, uh, and then it was harder for him to move to uh, the center. And in the meantime, he had Perot in the race. Yep. Uh, so your your point. Same is thing happened with Carter. Yes, uh, good memory. That was way before your time. But Ted Kennedy ran. I read uh, some books. Yeah. <laughs> I read about it in a book. I read about it in a magazine. Sorry, that's a song. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that's that's a valid point. Well, listen, you're everybody tells me the same thing that you just told me. We got Marge Hopper sitting here. We're gonna bring her on a little while, and she'll tell me the same thing. You need more than anti-Trump uh, to win, and uh, the Democrats are gonna have to concoct some message uh, to sort of you know, rally their supporters and reach out and convert. Uh, it seems as though uh, that though it's a very daunting uh, challenge to do both and to do t- two things that you talked about, which are uh, to uh, rally the people that would normally vote for you, but are just alienated from the system and win over uh, voters who are kind of attracted to Trumpism. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, win win over people who think climate change is fake. And like, you know, I saw a great, this is maybe a good note to end on. I saw a great tweet today that was in response to Trump's speech on the environment. Mm -hmm. Which I'll be talking to young Mark Uh, Halpern about that. Right, so so, uh, this is a tweet from David Roberts, who's a blogger at Vox. And he said, Dear environmental people indignantly fact-checking Trump's environmental speech. Why? Everyone who might read your writing knows Trump is lying. The people on Trump's side don't care that he's lying. Who is the envisioned person who A, was convinced by Trump, but B, open to your corrections? 
All my di- so all, life is meaningless. He, 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 just die this, right now. Here's this, but here's the second part. All of my adult yeah. life, I've watched conservative politicians casually lie. It's so easy, and thereby deploy hundreds of hours of fact-checking efforts from earnest journalists and lefties. It's a tool conservatives have have to waste the other side's time and emotional resources. It costs them nothing, and this is like this is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of like where can we meaningfully spend our energy? And this time that is spent on this, this guy's right. Like this is time that could be spent talking about voter registration and voter suppression. Okay. And if, you know, from our position a, as journalists. Okay. Let me just, could you please send me that tweet? Cause it's mm-hmm. beautiful. I way more want to comment about that because I'm going to tell you right that you could just substitute the world, uh, the words Olympics and Chicago for that. <laughs> and you could talk about my life from 2007 to 2009, every single lie that mayor Daly's machine trotted Screaming out about the Olympics. I would have to refute it. And they didn't care. They're like, God dang, man, we don't care. You know what I'm saying? We could say anything. Old man screams at cloud. <laughs> I'm like, ah, they're lying. Anyway, it's tough, man. Uh, yeah, it's hard when you want to tell the truth uh, to beat a liar. That is for certain. Maya, thanks so much for coming on. Every Tuesday she's here. Marge Halberton is sitting on deck. She's going to bring her on, continue this political discussion when we return. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Hey, playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Jett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. (laughs) 
All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday or Tuesday, July 9th is moments away. But before we get into hour number two, we would like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Big thank you to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. And of course, Today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, July 9th, and live from the Chicago Sun Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome indivisible activist Marge Halperin, and it's the long-awaited return of ace attorney Jim Coogan. And now your host, also the long-awaited return. We've been away for vacation. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. We're away basking in the sunlight. We're back to business right now. We're talking politics, politics, politics. Uh, Maya has left the building, but Marge Halpern has stepped in. Of course, folks are going, wait, Marge Halpern. Oh, yeah, she was on the radio, and she used to be uh, do public relations for the city and the Board of Education, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, The latest uh, stage of her life, she's been fighting a good fight against Donald John Trump uh, as a leading activist in Indivisible Chicago. And uh, so, Marge, first of all, thanks for coming to the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I should say still WGN TV morning news, Democratic analyst. That is correct. So she has many hats that she wears. But today we're going to, uh, well, we'll probably keep all those hats on, talk about uh, follow up on the conversation we have with Maya, the general conversation about what Democrats can do to defeat Donald John uh, Trump. It seems very frustrating at this particular moment. And uh, Maya <laughs> left with that uh, very cynical uh, tweet that she read. But before we do that, uh, a couple uh, updates of what's uh, Indivisible's got ahead in terms of uh, activism and what just went down. Uh, to talk about what what happened just on the 4th of July. There were some uh, protests here in the city. So updates and reporting. Yes, let's. we are uh, 100% focused on this Saturday, July 13th, 11 a.m. at Daily Plaza. We return uh, about a year later from the uh, huge rally we had last summer against immigration policy. We rallied last summer horrified that families would be separated at the border. Well, that was nothing, right? I mean, I don't mean that, of course. But compared to what we have today, it's 10 times worse. We could not imagine it getting worse. But of course it is. There's separating families, losing children, detaining children beyond the legal the limit that the courts allow. And well, they're not supposed to d- detain children at all. Mm-hmm. Um, separating families, taking children from parents because they fail to present the documentation that somehow satisfi- satisfies border patrol, losing children, they can never be reunited again. It, horrific. We are kidnapping children at the border. And what are we going to do about it? We're going to rally. 11 a.m. Saturday, join us. We have uh, more than a rally. At the, at the rally, we're going to announce a very important action that we think will really help uh, 
put a, a, the brakes on these raids by ICE, but we're not going to announce until Sunday. You have to come to the rally to find out. Follow us on social media at Indivisible Shy, uh, and we'll have the details uh, over the weekend if you can't join us, but it's important to have a turnout. All right, one more time. The, the times of 11 a.m., Daily Plaza, Saturday, July 13th. Got it. July 13th. Yeah, I thought I got confused. I thought you said Sunday, but Saturday, July. No, I said Saturday. Yeah. And I do want to stress, Indivisible um, is helping with the logistics, but this is being organized by a coalition of 40 different organizations. The organizations that work on the ground in the impacted communities are taking the lead. They're developing the program and the speaker list and uh, putting forward the voices of people who are really impacted on a daily basis by these threats. We we think the ice raids are coming. I know that, um, that sounds like a movie title, uh, um, but, it, but totally serious. Um, Trump has threatened this. He put it off over the 4th of July, realizing uh, that even for him, the optics would not be good, but they're coming back. And we have uh, information that indicate they're coming back soon and families need to be protected. So there are a lot of things you can do to help. Come to the rally, uh, look us up. We have an event uh, on Facebook. Go to Indivisible Chicago on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and we'll lead you to all the details you need to help these families who every day are threatened. Now, uh, there's a growing cynicism, it seems, uh, a pessimism, if you will, on uh, many people, many observers. I, I, I hear it. I mean, I counter, encounter it all the time. I'm not going to name their names, uh, but they, many of them are on this show. And one of the things, uh, one of the pessimistic claims that they make is that rallies um, don't work anymore. And uh, it, uh, people are, there's a fatalistic attitude that seems to be seeping in at this moment in time, Marge, almost like you can't beat them. Uh, you can't be, I've, I've heard this from <laughs> too many Democrats. Why are rallies still important in your humble opinion? For a lot of reasons. Um, I disagree that we can't. We have rallies and Trump responds when they are big. We had 60 thousand that's six zero thousand people in daily plaza spilling out two blocks in every direction um the largest rally in the country in a series of rallies and after those uh, that day was over a weekend full of rallies around the country trump did back off he's moved up again but we're not going to do nothing you mm -hmm. do nothing and you know you won't change anything but beyond that when you go to these rallies there are like-minded people you make connections you build the coalition look the work isn't part of the work is the rally but the real work is for 2020 and if people don't stand up get counted make the connections we're not going to have the army that we need on the ground for 2020 so this is part of a long view i will not be depressed or demoralized by the day-to-day -day news because we have a lot of work to do I'll tell you, with the, the best news of the day is that Amy McGrath is going to run against Mitch McConnell. Yeah, so let's talk I've about I've been waiting that. for yeah. her to jump in, yeah. and I am going to Kentucky. I, it's not that far. We can get there, and it's not that big a state. How many of us have to show up, knock on doors? Look, the last weekend in 2018, the last weekend of that election, um, we— Indivisible as a coalition knocked on 20,000 doors over four days for Sean Cast and Lauren Underwood, and look how that turned yeah. out. It wouldn't be that hard for us to make a move into Kentucky and support those who are working on the ground. And, and if folks want to get involved that, uh, what do they have to do uh, to get in touch? Maybe they want to go knock on doors. Maybe they want to make phone I calls. I hope they do. Uh, go to IndivisibleChicago.com, sign up, join in our list. Every day we have actions you can take. We're, um, when we 
coordinate for Kentucky. We'll have information there that you can join us. We are holding a Midwest Summit on October 5th. You can put that on your calendar here in Chicago, where we're inviting activists from the surrounding states to put a focus on Wisconsin and Michigan. We all know what happened in Wisconsin and Michigan last time. I personally went to Iowa like a bunch of schlubs from <laughs> Chicago who were yeah. told. And I personally yeah. asked, are you sure you want us in Iowa? I have family and friends in Wisconsin and yeah. Michigan. I can go there. I can stay longer because I have places to stay. They're like, nope. Hillary campaign wants everybody from Chicago to move to Iowa. Mm. I knocked on doors in that first hour I knew what we were in trouble because they weren't with us. A GOTV list was not with us. So we're not going to just leave it to some master strategist. We're on the ground. We're grassroots. And we're going to form a coalition with the surrounding states, figure out what all the states near us need. But we're focusing our energy on Michigan and Wisconsin for the 2020 race. And we're not waiting for the primary. We can be out there now, start talking to voters. That's what we did for Kasten, and it made a difference. All right, we're gonna, I'll talk about Kasten when we get into the environmental uh, Mm -hmm. uh, part of this interview. That's on my mind, uh, Trump's environmental speech. What a joke. Anyway, uh, but let's go back to something uh, that um, Amaya was talking about, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. The message uh, that the Democratic Party should be conveying uh, to fight Trump's message. Um, do you think that there's something very specific or precise uh, that Democrats should be articulating? Well, there's several things we can be saying. I'm not going to claim to have the silver bullet message. If I did, you know, I'd be selling it to a candidate. But uh, I don't. No, I'm joking. I'm not selling anything right now. You'd be offering it to the candidate. Uh, She'd be freely giving it to the candidate. Doing what I can for free. That's my life now. But no, I, um, I, I I think there's several things. First of all, we stand for true American values. And I think there are a lot of people who understand that and want to be reminded and galvanized just as going to the rally is galvanizing. I think forming the coalition behind True values. Look, we've been pushed farther and farther to the right so long that I say only half in jest jest, that Ronald Reagan might identify more with our party today than with his former Republican Party. Um, We keep moving left, and I get that he's not going to go as far left as I do, but he's certainly more of a Clinton. uh, You know, we say Reagan Republicans. I think Reagan would be a Clinton Democrat Mm -hmm. today. Um, I I really don't have any doubt about that. That party is not speaking to, to many um, because we've moved so far to the right that we don't know where the center is. I, I'd like the center to be left of center. And, and that gets to that argument, uh, you, you know, about uh, should the real progressive stand down and let Biden just sort of keep business as usual, to which I, as you will guess, say no. What, uh, let's no. talk about that. That's a tangent within this tangent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what do you mean by no? What, what is it about Bidenism? If there's such a thing exists uh, that, uh, you know, uh, causes you to say no. Well, what I said before, I'm tired of being pushed to the right uh, and calling that center. I don't think it is. Um, Look, we've had this echo chamber, right? So 
Biden, everyone says if Biden announced he's going to be in the lead, if Biden announced he's the most electable, you know, finally, he's okay, friends, I'm here. Uh, and everybody's like, see, he is most electable. Um, he's going to be leading in the polls. And then the polls say, who do you think, you know, you're going to go for? And people say, well, I think Biden most electable. That's mm-hmm. what I hear. You know, and then the pundits come back, and myself excluded, and say, <laughs> and say, because yeah, I don't want to be sometimes. derogatory yeah. about, you know, but, but you know, they come back and say, look, yeah. the polls show we were right. He yeah. is most electable. Yeah. Well, I, so a step out of the echo chamber. Look at the issues, w- what you were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of Maya's advice. What are the things we don't have to, uh, just like the environment speech, we don't have to spend all our time correcting Trump. I think we're pretty clear on uh, what level he rises to. And we need to be the contrast. And that ain't that hard either. All right. Well, let's get to the environmental speech. Uh, The article that I read, uh, I think it was in the New York Times, talk about cynicism. I mean, you know, people say, Ben, you're cynical when you come to covering Chicago politics. It's nothing compared to Republicans and their attitude toward America. Uh, So the article talked about uh, the pollster for the Republicans. What's his last name? Luntz? Is that how he's pronounced? Well, whatever his name is. He's a big-time pollster for the Republicans, and he he did some polling on the issue of the environment. He came to the Trump White House, and he made the following pronouncement. Yo, D, Donald, uh, you can win this election on the environment. People, Most people who are really worried about climate change will never vote for you in a million years, but there's a great... number of voters who are barely paying attention and they just want, I'm not making this stuff up, Marge. They just want some kind of reassurance that you care about this issue. And so he gave this environmental speech where he talked about how things have never, he, he applied what he usually says about crowds at his rally to the mm-hmm. environment. We are made the environment greater again, that kind of thing. Our, our uh, air is cleaner than it's ever been. Yeah. And that's We're fixing like fixing the mess that Obama made. So, yeah, uh, of the environment. So, and, and their attitude is, well, that's it. We just won Florida. The water is coming over the shore in Florida, right? You know, over right. the. But we, all you got to do is give that speech. Just one Florida. Uh, one of the most cynical things, Marge, I've seen in a long time. Uh, so uh, how accurate do you think their cynicism is when it comes to the American public? On uh, I, I don't think it's going to get them enough of what they need. I mean, I think I, I, he's got his base. He's always had his base. Is it 35, 30 to 40 percent on mm-hmm. any given day? Um I don't think this is going to push him to 51. I don't see how it would. And I, Florida, I probably lost Florida anyway. We didn't need Florida last time. Yeah, that is correct. You know, we lost it in Michigan and Wisconsin, as I mentioned earlier, and in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. All three of which, by the way, had their maps thrown out by the courts since that election. So he's not running on the same map in any of those three states. But And we, as activists, as I said, are going to be on the ground. Wait, now, how would that impact a presidential election? Well, they're not um, the congressional in terms maps of a, you're talking about. Yeah, in in terms of the electoral college. Well, it, it, he if he won the state, he still wins the state. But uh, that's a, a different. Do you understand what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I do. Uh, I do. So I don't know. I, no, I guess I you do. could say if the Demo- if the Republicans feel like they're going to get a hold. Uh, you, you, they may more Republicans may show up. They think they're going to win the congressional uh, districts, but uh, yes, yeah. and I think that drives the activists on the ground. I do have an answer to that. Question. All right, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so it seems to me, in terms of the environment, Donald Trump uh, it has a very mixed message. Uh, on one hand, 
his pollster is telling him, you got to give a speech uh, saying you're, you're actively fighting to protect the environment and you're doing positive things. And he gave that speech uh, yesterday. And then on the other hand, uh, he's going to give, uh, he's denouncing cli- climate change as a hoax. So he's telling his base supporters, what a joke that we have to do anything in the environment. The environment just shackles the, the economy mm-hmm. and kicks people out of jobs and worrying about it is something that the that elites care about. So it's it's complete mixed message. I mean, if you stop and think well, about it. Well, Communications 101 is you when you tell a different message to different audiences, you're going to be in trouble. So even uh, this is something in, in my uh, day job consulting kind of work that I do, you know, you, you train people to say the same thing to all audiences. I'll say, yeah, but don't these people need to hear? Well, you can elaborate in some different ways, but if you say a different thing to this audience, cater to one, I mean, mm-hmm. it's obvious, right? So, and then cater to another and say, a nuance different, you're in some trouble, but the strikingly different opposite message, you're in trouble. I, I can see the ad now. Here's Trump saying, you know, um, here's a, a scientist saying uh, Florida's going to be underwater by 2050 and the cut of Trump. I don't believe it. And then here's, you know, the air quality is threatening uh, the following species in the cut of Trump. I don't believe it. With his hands, yeah. I, don't, I don't believe it. <laughs> March helping doing her Donald Trump I, I, I can't do the voice, but I can do the hands. <laughs> no, the hands are very. Only uh, my hands are. All right, Dennis, do your good. Trump while she does that. I don't believe it. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, March does her hands while that's Dennis it. does Trump. That's it, right? So uh, yeah, so I, you know, he's he's out there on tape. Yeah. Although I'm sure you've seen that uh, tape that's running around on Twitter, where there's some TV broadcaster who interviews a woman at a Trump rally and. Um, she says, uh, uh, you know, Trump stood up and said he could shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue. And, woman, and nobody, he wouldn't lose any voters. Yeah. And the woman said, no, I don't believe that. And she said, no, he did. It's on tape. I, said, I don't believe it. Fake news, fake news. You're telling me fake news. He never said that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, uh, uh, but that's his base that isn't going to budge. But the thinking people who, who like the economy and would like to embrace Trump and have an a upstanding reason to do so, they're going to see those ads and they're going to know that he's uh, well this, and this gets back to uh the campaigns from 2018 which everybody seemed to already forgotten uh in the fatalism of the moment uh the democrats prevailed uh, in the congressional races of 2018 in many swing districts where they're they had never won before including sean caston's district mm-hmm. here in suburban chicago the eighth congressional district and uh as i recall the environmental six my I'm bad. Uh, very good. Marge corrected me with the, uh, her hands in the air. Sixth, uh, subtle. It's subtle, very subtle. Uh, and uh, environmental matters were extremely important uh, in that race. And uh, I, I, this is where I differ with the Republican pollster, who seems to think that he can win. Donald Trump can win over uh, the kind of voters who are voted in the sixth congressional district by giving uh, a speech that's flawed and made up and full with lies and is contradicted by the rest of his message. Yes, although I think their attacks on the Green New Deal are going to hit in some places that I wish they wouldn't. It's also a lie, you know, and they talk about the Green New Deal as being uh, unaffordable, too extreme, you know, but there's room to negotiate what they want instead, and they don't say that. They're calling it socialist because that's the label that seems to reach a lot of people. I think they can use that to strike some fear. Um, The party will have to answer 
on environmental issues in that context. Sean Caston isn't for the Green New Deal, by the way, which is disappointing. Again, I think he could say he may not think it focuses on the top priorities, carbon emissions, and some other things, but then he should speak up and, and contribute well, and negotiate. Well, Marge, just think about this now. Here's just the, with a Democratic challenge, just the things that you've said today. Uh, you, you start off by saying you're uh, uh, tired of the Democrats allowing themselves to be pushed to the right, and you want to see them more go, go more to the left, and you think that would be... Uh, the motivating factor to get people to come out and vote and defeat Donald Trump. And then uh, you just express concern about the Green New Deal, which is moving to the left and is an attempt by the Democrats uh, to stake something very positive uh, mm-hmm. that is in opposition to Trumpism. People always say, Ben, you can't. I just say run against Trump. That's what's going to win. You like everybody from Dennis to Maya, everybody says, no way you got to stand for something. So then when you say, all right, I stand for the Green New Deal, then they go, well, no, 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 that's too far left. You're going to lose. Well, I'm not saying it's too far left. I'm saying stand saying. up and defend it. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a party, let's defend it and make it what it needs to be. If you have other suggestions, let's hear them instead of joining the bashing. Because I think that's, and we had at least one candidate, might have been de Blasio on the debate stage, use the word socialist. Don't do that. That's their word. Nobody here is, you know, taking over the country and making it communist. Don't, don't No, that wasn't de Blasio. Words. Who was it? You're Bennett? About, was it Bennett? Yeah, was, it was Bennett who, was that Bennett. was his his pitch. You can't be a right. socialist. That's right. Uh, That's right. Swalwell's pitch was Biden's too old, and Bennett's pitch was, uh, you're socialist. It's like, dude, what are you doing? The work for Trump right yeah, now? Yeah, that's right. Don't do that. And Biden, you know, wasn't ready for the torch thing. You'll pry that torch from my cold, dead hands, wherever he said. Like, that was not a good response. You don't think that was like, wait, now hold on now. Let's now put on your, uh, which hat are we going to have you wear right now? Your strategist hat. Take off this hat, put that hat on. Um, so, the, the the kid uh is basically said you're too old man that was essentially boils down to it. so what would an appropriate response from uh, a 77 or is that how old he is i can't remember how old he is let's say he's 77 i think he may be older but whatever uh what would appropriate response be good ideas don't get old and in fact I have a lot of new ideas to add to my experience, and I know how to put them together and show the whole continuum of what we need to do here. I mm. both know what works in the White House and on Washington, and I know what people on the ground today need. Mm-hmm. For example, and you should follow with some fresh new ideas. Let's ab- abolish ICE. Doesn't work. And you know what? That's a. Uh, let me go back to another point that you made earlier. You know about how are we too extreme? Are we going to turn people off? A year ago, when we rallied against the immigration policy, mm-hmm. abolish ICE was the lead, and the community said, "Let's call it an abolish ICE rally." And a lot of people in the coalition were concerned. Well, that is a uh, brand new idea. That is extreme. We don't know what that means. People in the rally will. Uh, uh, be put off by it. They won't understand. And what we did was we wove a narrative. Here are the problems that's happening. Here's the history. It's been happening a long time. ICE, in fact, isn't very old. Started by H.W. Bush, I think, um, to replace something else that didn't work. Well, you know what? This doesn't work. So let's stop it right now. There's nothing nothing about ICE um, that we have to cling to. And in fact, it's harmful. It's dangerous. The Border Patrol, I'd add them to the list now, too, the way they're they're uh, behaving and 
talking on uh, the internet and all these other things. Um, and we're not afraid of that. And we brought people along, and within a week, we saw CNN. Time to abolish ICE. We saw now it's part of the mainstream conversation about how are we going to improve our immigration policy. Abolish ICE isn't so revolutionary, and it didn't take a full year to do that. It happened pretty quickly after those rallies as we introduced the issue to a much, much broader audience. Um, and now we'll be talking about abolishing ICE, all right, on Saturday. It's really our lead. It's still a critical problem and where the focus has to happen. Um, but it's not just ICE. It's Border Patrol and it's a lot of other things um, that it, it, that have to be done away. Why are we criminalizing crossing the border? I, it, it's, uh, you know. You, Don't want to ask me. I, listen, right. I never understood this as an issue uh, other than bigotry uh, from the get-go. Yes. And, um, and again, you know, whenever I say this, people always go, Ben, you live in a bubble of Chicago. They always say that to me. Maya just told me that. Everybody's always telling you, you live in a bubble of Chicago. And in Chicago, it's like, uh, I mean, in terms of fortifying our population, immigrants do that. Uh, in terms of uh, being entrepreneurs, starting businesses, restaurants, etc., immigrants do that. You know, they're hardworking, they're by and large, and they're law-abiding. That's my attitude about immigrants. That's just something It's more than an attitude. It's statistically true. Yeah. You know, Trump wants to talk about the crime caused by immigrants. We, this is old news. We've seen the statistic. Their crime rate is far lower, not documented or undocumented. Um, immigrants come here for yeah. a better life, and they contribute to a better life. Um, and uh, they don't take our jobs. All those things don't have... Statistics. You know, my favorite thing to do, not favorite, but my, I never give up responding to the uh, Republicans or the out-and-out -out trolls uh, on, on social media with a link. Here's the fact. I, I know you heard that from Hannity or whoever it is, on, or, or the president. They're one and the same lately in terms of rhetoric, right? Yeah. Um, but, but find me the fact that, that proves it. Here's yeah. my fact. Immigrants contribute positively Crime is from local. I mean, domestic terrorism is what is killing people in mass numbers around our country. President has never even spoken. Remember when they used to say, you have to say radical Islam because that's what it is. Yeah. Well, we didn't say that and that isn't what it was. Now, domestic terrorism is what you have to say and the president won't. Yeah. That's the danger. They're not immigrants. That's not who's killing people by the dozens in these mass killings. By the way, so did, did you... Uh uh, by that quote that uh, Maya read before she left, and I'll just re, uh, I'll do my best to paraphrase it from memory. It was it had to do with Trump's environmental speech, and it was some jaded journalist who was probably so young. I don't, I'd be so jaded, man. Uh, oh, you weren't jaded. Yeah, yeah you, you were born jaded, my dear. <laughs> no, man. I always believe I'm a very optimistic guy. I wouldn't be able to do what I do if I wasn't. So uh, yeah, I'm a big Bulls fan. I I think we're going to be celebrating next June in Grand Park. The Bulls. Win a championship. That's how optimistic I am. Delusional uh, <laughs> and then jaded. That's how it works. You could be both. You could be both. I'm He's both right. delusionally jaded. Anyway, uh, the, the young journalist that uh, Maya cited uh, it was chiding Democrats for fact checking, uh, chiding journalists for fact checking uh, Donald Trump's 
speech. Uh, the point being that Donald Trump's supporters don't care if he lies. Uh, in fact, they don't care if he says uh, A on Tuesday and then B on Wednesday, completely contradicting uh, A, and then blame everything on the fake media. They don't care. Uh, so don't even waste your time fact-checking. Uh, what is your response to that uh, on all your levels as a journalist, as a strategist, as an activist, etc.? No, I, I'm glad they do because those are the links that I share. And, you know, I can go back and forth on rhetoric um, with uh, those on the right and they'll they'll give their quotes and I'll give my quotes. Then I put a link in and they don't respond. <laughs> if I don't have those links, yeah. I can't shut them down. And, yeah. and it seeps in, uh, uh, you know, does it change their vote? Probably not. But again, that 30 to 40 percent, wherever he lands in November 2020, that's what he's got. And he wants to build a coalition beyond beyond that. Yeah. That's what we're going to stop. All right. Now I got Jim Coogan sitting here. We're going to bring him on pretty soon. Uh, Ace uh, attorney talk about all the various legal issues of the day. And I really hope you stick around for that if you can. But before I do that, I have to ask you for your your sort of your preliminary thoughts about the presidential race so far. I haven't, I haven't really talked to you at all mm -hmm. about the debates. I just presume you as an obsessed, obsessive political uh, animal that you are watched those debates. Correct. Mm -hmm. All right. So what was your sort of general thoughts about the debates I, I think it boiled down really fast um to you know half a dozen probably um uh biden still in it no doubt biden sanders uh, harris warren you're gonna laugh but i wrote down all the candidates because like i didn't want to leave anybody out but i'm not gonna read them all to you but biden sanders harris warren uh judge o'rourke and booker and castro even though Castro's dropped down to 1%, I, I still leave him out there in the mix. I think he did really well in the debates. Um, is he going to be president? I don't know. But I think he's going to hang out in the field for a while. And in the back of my mind, I think a lot about the mayoral race that we just went through. Um, and you know what happens. Nobody has more well. Biden has 26. Um, Sanders, for. For, uh, 16 in the aggregate poll, Harris 14. I mean, that's what happened in the mayor's race. No one had better than around 15%. And it was anybody's race to step up and grab. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and Biden could well be in the Bill Daly space. You know, he could have spent all his money and he could be leading and he could be undercut by uh, some coalition of, uh, uh, you know, Warren and Harris voters or some other combination. No, I can't remember, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. There was some, uh, uh, many uh, Democrats have been giving me a hard time because I've had nice things to say about Marion Williams, and I can't remember if you were one of them. Uh, uh, <laughs> she's shaking her head. I can't remember if you were or not. So many people give me grief because, yeah, you know, I kind of like Marion Williamson. Uh, I got Kitty Kurth coming on the show at about 3.30, and she'll be defending oh, yeah. Marion Williamson to the hilt. Uh, what's your thoughts about Marion Williams? Well, I was going to say, I have good friends working on that campaign, the aforementioned Kitty Kurth among them. Um, uh, but I'm really looking at more heavyweight candidates that yeah. I think can amass um, more quickly. I, I think things, because of what I just said about the mayor's race, I think things need to boil down at a good clip. I'm not saying they have to boil down tomorrow to two, but I think we do need to move along um, and uh, coalesce behind some of the strongest. No, candidates. you were the I one. Think I, I think it was you who told me. Uh, who was the first to tell me about the Republican strategy? I had read in the newspaper as well to uh, calling on donor to calling on Republicans to contribute to Marianne Williamson's campaign in order to keep her in the debates. Because somehow or other, the Republican strategists thought it was helpful to Donald Trump. 
to have Marion Williamson on that. And stage. I don't well, no, yeah, I don't know that it was a Republican strategist, but I see it on Twitter. I think they're trolls. You know, I'm giving a dollar to Marion Williamson so she can have X number of donors by the time the to qualify for the September debates. That doesn't help her in the polls, however. So I think it's I don't think it's any organized, certainly not a GOP organized thing. Um, but somebody who thought uh, that. Uh, the more disarray, the larger the group, the, you know, uh, whatever they think she represents would help muddy the waters further. Contrary, I mean, I think it supports what I just said. I think we need to narrow down sooner than later. Let's, you know, by this fall, let's get serious and narrow it down. Let's not wait till the convention. We don't want a brokered convention or any of that. So I think that Republicans see that. And the more people who stay on stage and the more uh, confused the uh, lineup is, the more confused voters are, the better for Republicans if we continue to muddy and uh, dilute the funding pool and all those different mm -hmm. things. Um, and I, I just think we need to get focused. Let's see um, where the supporters fall and move forward. Let's cut it down to six, four, two. All right, that's Marge Hopper. And one more time before we bring uh, Jim Coogan on, tell uh, folks about the rally this Saturday. Yep, we're rallying Saturday in Daly Plaza, 11 a.m. to fight the deportation policies and abolish ICE. And oh my God, you asked me about the third and I didn't get to say, can I just really quickly? So we were out on the night of July 3rd mm -hmm. um, with what we call little light mischief. Um, <laughs> we had uh, heavy professional lighting, two large lighting cannons, and we were shooting buildings downtown. We started with um, a variety of slides and messages. We started with an impeach Trump message on Trump Tower. We moved to the immigration building. Immigrants are welcome here. We found the lovely flag on the side of the Wrigley Building. Immigrants are welcome here was a nice message there too. A little love and resist here and there on the Federal Courts Building, I believe we hit with that. Um, and if you haven't seen the pictures, uh, follow us at Indivisible Shy on Twitter. Look for us on Facebook, Indivisible Chicago, and uh, sign up for our daily actions so that you know about the rally and the other things that we're going to do to follow the rally. And look for some really fun pictures because uh, we had a good time that night. Yeah, I remember. I think there was a picture in the Sun Times of mm -hmm. the uh, of the, the the message you broadcast on the Trump Tower, which I love. I take the sign down at Trump Tower, uh, put that message up there. Uh, I'm for that 100. percent That's Marge Hoburn of Indivisible Chicago. We got Jim Coogan coming on. We'll be right back after this. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. Donald Trump did everything he could to derail, stop, halt, obstruct mm -hmm. that investigation right. that is a violation of the law mm -hmm. if he were anyone other than president of the united states mm -hmm. he would be in handcuffs read the chicago reader to get up to speed on what's what in chicago culture food arts and entertainment weekly concert listings weekly event listings the environment travel i can continue but you get the point point. and for all of you chicago political junkies raw weekly columns on real city politics from maya dukmasova and our very own ben jarofsky the chicago reader free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com read it now and be a more informed chicagoan 
Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, it is amazing. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics, so many things. It's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you. And go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway. And find more information at GreenElementResale.com. Green Element Resale, get down there and save so much money. Money, money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. Jim Coogan has joined us. Marge Hopper sticking around. I twisted her arm, locked the door, made her stay, and she's sticking around. Do you got an update for me before I turn it over to Jim? I got quite a few uh, 2020 presidential candidate updates here. Just uh, hang tight with me here. Okay, uh, let's see here. We have Bernie Sanders. He weighed in on our newest candidate, one Tom Steyer. Mm. Uh, let's see here. Bernie Sanders said about one Steyer. Okay, Throw me off guard here, Ben. I didn't know you were going to me, and I can't find the update. Hang tight with me. Hold on. Stall, Ben. Stall. Okay. Tom Steyer, as I said before, was uh, the leader of the impeached Donald Trump movement. Uh, and I, he had ruled out running, but I guess he's changed his mind. And did you find Okay, we're quote? done stalling. Here we go. Speaking of Bernie Sanders, the Vermont senator does not seem particularly enthused by Tom Steyer's foray into the 2020 presidential race. Asked about the launch for Steyer's campaign on Tuesday, Sanders told MSNBC, quote, I'm a bit tired of seeing billionaires trying to buy political power. So I like Tom. He's a good guy. He's a friend of mine. But I'm not a great fan of billionaires getting involved <laughs> in the political process. Uh, it's, he's my friend, but let me throw him under the train here to get the bus, whatever. Oh, man. So much. Must be great friends. I'm sure they're going to have a good time next time they get together at the barbecue after that one. Yeah, next thing he's going to be like Trump. I, I don't know him. Yeah, I right. Know. I never, <laughs> never met, met Steyer. I don't know. It's a little late for me uh, to get enthusiastic about the Tom Steyer campaign. Again, he had his chance to uh, jump out about a year ago. He was talking about it. Also, 2020 presidential candidate Kirsten Gillibrand has released a new television ad attacking Donald Trump for failing to make good on his promises to save jobs and improve the lives of average Americans. The spot is titled, I Promise, and will air in Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Sorry, Illinois, not getting it, but go online. The so-called Rust Belt states that helped propel Trump to victory. All right. Okay, very good. And uh, uh, she, any other updates before I turn it over to Young Jim? We have the video uh, Joe Biden did with CNN, but I don't think now's the time to do oh, it. So no, it to we'll bring that back it. later. Yeah, uh, the video of Marge Hoppin, get her thoughts on that. All right, Jim Coogan, ace attorney from uh, uh, Dwyer and Coogan. And uh, well, first of all, Jim, you usually come on the show, you give us a Mueller updates. Uh, and right now it's kind of quiet uh, on the, the investigation front. Uh, you've led us through this for two years it seems like uh but Mueller will be testifying in front of congress what uh next week two weeks from now next wednesday next wednesday so what are you anticipating there uh well he made his own comments about it he had his brief press conference stating that he will not say anything that's not contained in the report however uh i can imagine that the the onus is on the congressional questioners to try to find a way to ask him questions that he may actually add some additional context or answer some why questions beyond the report in, a, in such a way that he actually might answer them. I mean, it, I guess we'll find out just how contentious it might be or whether he'll just 
kind of default to just saying, well, it's in my report or, you know, I, I would refer you to my report. It could be that boring. My my recollection of seeing prior testimony where he's been before Congress, because he has been, you know, he was director of the FBI for 12 years, I think. So, uh, or maybe longer than that. Um, he's not a dramatic witness. He doesn't, he doesn't go for showmanship in front of congressional inquiries. So uh, I suspect it could be very simplified and he may want to keep it that way. Then again, you know, I, I, it's, we all had the chance to see the strange sequence of events where he's writing a letter to William Barr as attorney general is saying in the nicest way possible, you, you mischaracterize what was in the report. Uh, please correct the record. And that letter of course was hidden until a month and a half after the fact, after it was actually directed to Barr, which followed Barr's initial characterization of the whole report as being mm -hmm. very clear and saying that his his summary of the principal conclusions was that there was no collusion uh, and there's no charge for obstruction of justice. So um, I guess the the other part, the lawyer side of my brain is thinking I would imagine that a guy like Bob Mueller, who spent this much time, dedicated a portion of his career and his life to this, and essentially this is this is the last thing he's going to do as a substantial contribution to the legal community, as a legacy, would want to make sure that the record was correct. Mm -hmm. Well, this gets into the personal level here, and Mueller has uh, definitely stayed away from this, and I'm kind of wondering about this, Jim. Uh, it's hard to know what's in his brain. I mean, you can't predict that, but um, he, he's been vilified to a certain degree by Donald Trump. Uh, his report has uh, been distorted by Donald Trump and his old friend, William Barr. Um, he is, what, 70-something years old. This is his legacy. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, this is what people will remember, if they remember him at all. Isn't there, don't you think there's just got to be a part of him that says, you know what? <laughs> F you. I'm taking you down. And you did. You, you want to trash me? I'm going to come after you. Now I know this completely contradicts his behavior up to now. His by the book behavior. You know everything is so scripted in terms of what he has to say. It's it's almost like reciting something that was written ahead of time. But don't you think there's got to be an element in the in, in in Mueller that just wants to strike back? Almost the way not comparing Mueller to Cohen. We talked about Michael Cohen's testimony when he let Trump have it. Uh, seems like years ago. Uh, but do you think there's a possibility of a, such a re response? Well, now there's a contrast in character when you want to set up. <laughs> Two lawyers! <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> certainly dis displaying the wide variety of, of character <laughs> in the types of people who become attorneys and, yeah. and the way they behave once they do. And they're both Republicans. Uh, true, that's true. That's mm -hmm. something that seems to consistently be forgotten in all the uh, distortion. About Mueller, yeah. About Mueller, about Jim Comey, about all these other Republicans who apparently are part of some vast conspiracy to take down the president. So, you know, I can imagine there's actually probably a fascinating tension inside of Robert Mueller here. You've got a Marine. You've got a guy who's who's always been a by-the-book procedural uh, person who is dedicated to his, you know, oath to the Constitution, dedicated to his country, um, but also a human being who, I mean... Yeah, he's he's been blasted in ways that are completely unfair. And if nothing else, it's not like he decided to go out on a lark and just start investigating the president. Uh, he was given a special responsibility, which was pursuant to the rules that he believed so strongly in as part of the Justice Department, and they're the rules. So he went out and did what seems to be an extremely thorough job, and yet 
is, uh, it, it has not been fair, you know, the characterization by any part of the right wing media or even from the president, which in this era, it's like we're all done being surprised by that. But to think about that, just to step back for a second, this is the president trashing someone who dedicated his entire career to the United States of America. I mean, he was in private practice at some point, but he served in the military. Mm-hmm. He worked for the Justice Department, he worked for the FBI. I mean, that's on some level that that's that should offend everybody. But <laughs> the list of what Trump does that should offend sure. somebody is longer than sure. my arm and yours together. Well, this is why I continually go around saying and everybody disagrees with me. I believe the number one issue for the Democrats in the 2020 election is Donald Trump. He is utterly offensive. And conventionally speaking, I know you, you don't want to talk about the political issues here, but Marge, you're here. I'm just saying, conventionally speaking, uh, an economy this strong would work in the favor of the incumbent president, and yet Donald Trump's unfavorables have remained high. He is disliked by a strong. We always concentrate on the people who love Donald Trump and will will follow him wherever he goes, but the. The polls show there's an equal amount, if not more, people who despise him. So that's why I continually say, if he, like Mueller represents, to your point, sort of this uh, type of, of, of a great American hero, you know, who uh, was a Marine and uh, has, has always been, you know, Dudley Do-Right. Uh, and Donald Trump is the exact opposite. He ducked the war when he had the opportunity at bone spurners. I don't know what it was. Maybe his, his toe hurt. I can't remember. So um, I, I just believe that this is part and parcel of a larger uh, like message that the Democrats could you get just out. made the case for not doing it everybody knows Trump makes the case every day we don't have to keep repeating because it's out there it's it's out there in social media he's on TV he's on the news every night everything he says is followed documented fact-checked we can use those links to to document that he's lying again and again the list of lies who is it amy siskind i think who keeps a weekly list of his weekly mm-hmm. lies and it's crazy long every week you know it's out there we don't have to do that because he is putting that story out for himself everybody sees it it's beyond um it's beyond all the wishful thinking that he would just stop tweeting, that he would act presidential. All those people who, when they voted for him the first time, had all these hopes that he would shift his personality. They know now. Yeah. You don't have to remind them of that. What you need to remind them of is how much better it could be, what our true values are, what we stand for, what our country looks like when we take care of the people who need our help the most, not the 1%, you know, the, the, the Warren wealth tax, which I don't think is well named myself, again, didn't ask me, but um, it, it basically you tax people who make $50 million a year or more, 50 million, and that's who declare that on their taxes. So, you know, whatever deductions, whatever else they've done, they still got 50 million left. 75,000 families, she estimates. You tax them with the wealth tax, uh, 1% tax, and it's enough to fund pre-K for all. It's enough to fund fair wages for those who teach in the pre-K for all, and it's enough for free college. Whether you think everyone needs free college or not, those 75,000 families don't. I hope they don't get free college. But those who need it will get it all funded uh, by a simple, well, so those are the things we need to talk about. We can do this in our country. You know what Trump can do. He's done it and Mm -hmm. continues to do it. We don't need to talk about that, Ben. All right, one more person to the list, Jim Coogan. (laughs) Oh, it's bigger than Trump. Uh, All right, speaking about issues that I don't know if this is for Trump uh, or against Trump, I just know it's an abomination. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, I do not, 
I cannot believe I, I shouldn't say this, Jim, but I cannot believe it's that this guy got such a pass in Florida of all states, uh, which is supposed to be so tough on law and order. You talk about the utter hypocrisy, uh, the double standards in our criminal justice system. Uh, just help folks out. Uh, give a little summary on what the Jeff, uh, the Epstein case. And is please on. include answer to one other question if I can interview for a second. Like, what can we do about Acosta? Include right. that at the end when it, you get there. Very good. Sure. Um, so the basic background is very wealthy hedge fund manager guy has property in Florida, has property in, in Washington or in New York, and I think in the Virgin Islands and maybe some other places. In the late 90s, early 2000s, it, it, I think it had been going on possibly longer than that, but it finally got on somebody's radar that he had engaged in what became kind of a network of sexual exploitation and human trafficking and his own sexual abuse of women, uh, but minor women. And the way that they would go about doing it is they would lure people, young women, 14, 15, 16 years old, in to give him massages, and then that would lead to uh, forcible sexual acts. So this, th th there were charges brought, or there was an investigation happening in West Palm Beach, Florida, you know, home of Mar-a-Lago in Florida. Mm -hmm. And the local cops had a concern that the local prosecutors at the Florida county level prosecutors might get railroaded by an extraordinarily wealthy guy who could buy all the, the brilliant and connected legal minds that you could buy. So they brought this to the feds, said, you guys make the case. And we think this might be a really big case. There may be a lot going on here because they started to realize that Epstein was using victims to then recruit more victims and that this was a compounding thing and that he had all kinds of, you know, he's got private parties and, and islands and jet flights to who knows where. So there were a lot of dots to be connected and they figured there was, so there were two good reasons to bring this to the feds. Well, unfortunately, as far as the getting railroaded by the defense team or by connected attorneys, it turns out that referring this to the local United States attorney, who at the time was Alex Acosta, didn't work out well in terms of his being able to stand up to the, the legal power that Epstein might be able to wield. Because by the time they were about to bring the case to trial, and I think this was about 2008, mm -hmm. Epstein and his attorneys, as to the how, some of this is still sealed, so it's not like I didn't do my homework on this. I just don't know how this happened. Mm -hmm. They, number one, didn't notify the victims who... Some were actually, I mean, there's some unknown victims out there. There's women who have not come forward. There's women who haven't been discovered. But there were some who were ready to testify, and they would have testified. They were the on-the-record victims. Didn't notify them of the deal that they were reaching. And the deal itself was appalling in terms of what he actually was allowed to plead guilty to in exchange for a promise not to prosecute and an ex exoneration of any federal charges related to the underlying crimes. What they had him char uh, actually plead guilty to instead of, sex trafficking or rape or any of those kind of charges was a state level charge for solicitation of a prostitute, which by the way, there's kind of this little asterisk I would mention that is essentially labeling young women who are victimized as prostitutes because they were paid money. I don't think that this was, some, I think we can all assume number one, it would be illegal in the first place. You can't enter into any kind of agreement with a minor on something like that. So it wasn't voluntary, but also saying that they, did this for money like they were willing participants in this for the money that's almost like 
I don't know, beating up the victim for no good no reason. No, almost about I that. I mean, that's exactly what it that's was. That's exactly so, what it was. And, and he didn't bring prostitution charges against those young women, did he? That's right. Uh, or or any or any charges against any of the other people that I think there were other associates of Epstein's that were involved in this network of his. So to add insult to injury and more injury and more injury, um, on top of all those other things, the actual sentence meant he was sentenced with 18 months local like he would do it in a county jail mm. the county jail arrangement was such he got to go on furlough on a daily basis to go conduct whatever business activity he wanted to six days a week he just had to sleep at the jail and it got reduced to 13 months you know or 12 or 13 months that he actually served so in summary it was one of the most appalling miscarriages of justice that you could come up with with respect to some kind of sex trafficking situation including obviously the fact that this is something that would only be available to someone with power wealth and connections like mr epstein had and so uh and and the attorney uh as marge pointed out uh the federal prosecutor was alexander acosta who is now uh donald trump's labor secretary am i correct on that he one is. he and, somehow uh, <laughs> had the connections to get nominated to run a, a department under this administration and was confirmed and got six or seven Democrat votes, which a few of those people were quoted in the paper or in, in some stories I read this week saying that they didn't know about what happened back then. I was, wasn't it, uh, he was forced to, to answer questions about it in uh, his uh, hearing. So yeah. they didn't know, they weren't paying attention to the hearing. Or they right. didn't know how, ba how bad it was. Well, now this, yeah. this, yeah, this. Because because uh, uh, sexual uh, relationships with a group of minor women, you know, could be not that bad. I mean, that's not like how bad, you know, I know, I'm sorry. I'm with Ben. How yeah. could they not know? And that's a pretty well, no, excuse it, I mean, today. Yeah, it's a terrible excuse. And, and this isn't a legal question, uh, Jim, but this is this is classic what I call Bidenism. And I go back to uh, Clarence Thomas hearing where Democrats bend over backwards. Uh, to to be accommodating to Republicans uh, on the notion that that's the bipartisan spirit. And so, okay, out of respect to the president, I'm going to vote for his labor secretary. I don't even know what is, how this guy is in any way qualified to be the labor but, secretary. Right. That's just number one. Even if he has like anti-labor attitudes, I mean, he's a prosecutor. For, so. But again, we're going to use our energy where it's best fit. So he is in, he's unqualified, we don't get those votes, but how do we get him out? I, I do see on Twitter there's a general thought that uh, he's vulnerable, you know, Trump could pretty soon, like I didn't even know the guy, he could be moving that direction. How do we push it further? What are, what are the legal avenues if we don't get him out with a social media fight? Jim yeah, Keegan. well, okay, I, I suspect that the, the shortest distance between now and then is that the president decides this is not worth his time or having to be yelled at about it. Uh, because I, I don't, I don't know what his personal tie is to Acosta. Like I'm sure it's through other people. So it's not really his guy, not to mention he would sell out anybody if it's convenient <laughs> for him, except for maybe, maybe like four people that I could think of. I can't, who are those four? His wife, his daughter, his son, and his son-in-law. I would take the wife out of that sentence. Cause and one of those sons, yeah. well, he, didn't yeah. count, he didn't count one of the sons yeah, already. I, uh, so. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that's subjective on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, it yeah. is subjective. Yeah. It varies day-to-day, right. -day, but go ahead. Well, you know, there's, there's calls for, you, you can impeach cabinet members we talked about that before with mm -hmm. possibly trying to impeach william barr um you can and that's really it i mean unless he decides to resign on his own uh he's either asked to submit his letter of resignation uh otherwise there's never been 
number one, there's prosecutorial immunity. So anything he did as the prosecutor, even though they can, the victims have since brought a lawsuit against the government for violations of the Victim Rights Act that they weren't notified that there were problems with this prosecution, that doesn't come to him, like that doesn't inure to him personally. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't disqualify him from being a cabinet member, especially because he's been confirmed. That's that's kind of like the, the gold bracketed protection that he has now is that he is a confirmed uh, labor secretary. So, uh, I mean, other than actually starting some inquiry, which I think if they did that, I would imagine that somebody's going to force him to get his resignation. I believe there ready. is one. Now, this is was my next question for you. I, because didn't Barr at one point recused himself from it. Yes. And then he unrecused himself after apparently talking to the president. He doesn't like recusals. Wait, um, Barr? I missed that part. I, I think I saw something about, about that. Am I, is that on this case or is that on something else? Am yeah. I mixing up? I think, well, he, yeah, I think it was very convenient for him. Yeah. He searched real fast and realized, oh, wait a minute, I used to work for Kirkland and Ellis. That is correct. I don't get to say anything about the prosecution in New York. I think yeah. he was very happy yeah. not to have to say one thing or the other because this way he can step out of the way and not look as if he's getting in the way of that prosecution, mm -hmm. which he doesn't, you know, he cares more about putting federal judges in who are gonna trash the Constitution without people realizing it. He doesn't wanna stand up for sexual predators if he can avoid it. <laughs> so in this situation, yeah. I think it was very convenient so that he could let Berman, the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, bring these charges mm -hmm. without having to say yay or nay one way or the other. That's correct. So that was, so his, that that's was his the recusal. part that he recused himself, he, is not the, about He being William Barr, just so people follow yeah. this, yes. the Attorney yes. General of the United States, uh, recused himself on this matter on the grounds that he worked for the law firm that One used of to, the defense attorneys for, for or, yeah, that was involved with Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein. Right. But now he's back in. Now he's unrecused. So could he put his thumb on the scale and help Epstein? Well, I thought or just keep Trump out of it? You're saying Barr is unrecused with... Oh, I mean, I they brought that. the charges. Yeah, he recused so. and then he unrecused himself. I, I did not see that part. That happened while I was riding my bike if, to work. Uh, I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. the charge has been brought, so the yeah. only way he could put his thumb on the scale is, is per perhaps to influence another yeah. you know, plea agreement of some kind. Uh, because something is going to come of this. He's, Epstein is in custody right now. Yeah. Uh, and I think to some people's satisfaction, not the kind of jail situation where he can just come and go as he pleases. And, and, mm. and yeah, he does not have, he did not get uh, uh, bail. So uh, he, he's not going to be walking out, leaving uh, anytime soon. Yeah, I think Marge has the update right hmm. there. Yeah, so he did, he unrecused himself. All so right. he found that he, he, consulted with ethics officials and decided he does not have to recuse himself anymore. I, I think ethics officials like the, <laughs> the president, who is the renowned expert on government ethics these days, who's the only expert who counts, you know, the Justice Department doesn't work for us. They work for one person. And they were for says, Donald John get back Trump. In there. Yeah, he came back yeah. there, and Barr said, "Yes, sir, boss." And yeah. he's uh, that's what, that's himself. That's what I think happened. Well, but Acosta, there's no maybe there is no investigation into him. I mean, they, uh, it would the only way you'd have some kind, the only type of investigation that would remain is something into his professional license as an attorney, which I I, mean, I don't know what the statute. I don't know if it's under the Florida rules because that's a state that he would have been practicing in at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how long they can do anything like that. You know what. And you, somebody would have to show what was unethical about it. So it's it's kind of a different question than criminality or civil liability. It's whether you did something that, that violated your ethics as an attorney. I think that he would just say, look, these, this is the deal I, I did, and prosecutors have a pretty wide latitude, even if that can invite bad judgment. That's Jim Coog and Marge Halpern's in the studio as well. We're going to take a break and be right back after this. 
Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Our friends at the Chicago Sun-Times are offering you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of your favorite stories. Unlock every feature, video, and podcast, just like the Ben Jarofsky Show, by signing up now for a digital uh, subscription. I can talk. For a limited time only, you can test out digital access for only $1. Seriously, $1. There's no reason to not give it a shot, all right? So stay up to date on breaking stories, get the deep dives, and investigate from Sun-Times reporters cheer for the big games and with the best sports team in the city and go deep inside City Hall with best in class political reporting $1 for your first month you really can't do better than that go check out the Chicago Sun-Times Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta, playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicolas Fayette. All right, everybody, it's almost time for Lincoln Square's Summer Party. Join us for Square Roots Festival. It's a local festival featuring neighborhood food and regional craft beer, as well as unique and exciting market vendors, while over 50 bands and artists from around the world entertain on four stage. I guarantee Ben Jarofsky's never heard of any of 50 bands. I guarantee you're right. Your donations support Lincoln Square, Ravenswood, Chamber of Commerce's <laughs> free concerts and farmer's markets and Old Town School of Mu- uh, Folk Music's financial aid programs and outreach programming at Square Roots Festival this weekend, July 12th, 13th, and 14th. For more information, check out Square Roots Festival online. Just Google it. That's all you got to do. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right. That's what cool music needs. We're almost done with another great show. Not done yet. Still have Jim Coogan in the studio and Marge Halpern in the studio. And uh, Jim, I've been uh, waiting to ask you about this all day. The lawsuit about Obamacare. You're, uh, I always drag it, uh, Jim in the studio to talk about legal issues. And then I make him do his homework before he comes in here and read them up and uh, explain them to people. Uh, so I'd completely forgotten the lawsuit against Obamacare. Shame on you. Man. I know. Shame on We discussed it at least twice uh, a few months back. And uh, and now there's argument, oral arguments, I think was in today. Uh, so just help people out a little bit. Summarize what's going on with this one. So this is a great, I'm sure Marge could take this wrong with it. This is a great reminder that even what you might think is settled law and what you think what might what most Americans probably assumed has been affirmed by the Supreme Court because it was in terms of the Affordable Care Act and the things about it that most Americans like. Uh, it's a good reminder that the political process can still 
tear those things to shreds, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, the president ran on the theory that he was going to repeal, uh, maybe replace that we saw an effort, you know, a couple of years ago to try to replace what has generally, even though it's got all kinds of issues, been a successful and popular program in the United States in the Affordable Care Act. So as you and I have talked about more than once, there's never been a sincere effort to actually replace this law. But the most important thing for Republicans has always been that they could run against it mm-hmm. uh, because the name was unpopular, even if people were happy about having their pre-existing conditions protected, which just to remind everyone would mean you could get rejected from ins- having insurance at all or have certain things not covered at all or be discriminated against and, and charged more and have to pay higher levels uh, out of pocket for conditions that you had before you had a certain insurance policy, which it's it's a very complicated thing if you go back to the old system where you're sort of stuck with, maybe you have to stay at a bad job because you can't change insurances. But putting that aside for a second, the, the, the jeopardy for this for the Affordable Care Act came when the Trump administration and the Republicans in the House and Senate passed the tax bill in 2017, that, or it was the end of 2018, right, when they passed it. Um, at this, what that did was it took away, when the Supreme Court had actually passed and said that the law was constitutional back in 2012, their rationale was Congress has wide latitude and broad powers to tax, and therefore the penalty for not having insurance and the requirement, the quote-unquote mandate that individuals buy insurance if they don't have it, well, that penalty was a tax. Mm-hmm. The tax law said you don't have to pay it anymore. So that gave the opportunity for Republicans to file a lawsuit saying that this law is now unconstitutional because the rationale no longer existed, or at least it's based on something that doesn't exist anymore, that being that this penalty was a tax. And so they filed it in Texas with the, with the intent to get it before a judge, I think his name was O'Connell mm-hmm. or O'Connor, Um, hoping that it would get on his calendar because they expected that he would be a sympathetic judge to believe this argument and to rule that the entire act is therefore unconstitutional. He did, so that's done. And now that has been appealed, and at the federal level, you've got district courts, you've got the appellate circuit court, and then you've got the Supreme Court. Those are the three levels. So right now, it's before the Fifth Circuit, which covers Texas. And today was oral arguments on this issue. And it's at this stage, from a legal perspective, it's really wide open. The court itself asked for additional briefing after the first briefs were in uh, for the parties to inform the court as to whether the Democrats who are opposing this even have standing to do so. States attorneys general, state governors, and House Democrats who are opposing the lawsuit to invalidate this thing, particularly because the Trump administration has decided not to defend it, which normally, when a law is being attacked, the Department of Justice will defend it if it's being sued, like when... President Obama was the president, and Republican governors would get together and sue him for for some kind of EPA regulation or something else that they wanted to find unconstitutional. It was the Department of Justice that would defend that case throughout the system all the way up to the Supreme Court if necessary. So in this situation, the feds have sort of laid down their arms. They're not defending it. So that's where Democrats stepped in. Uh, So even the standing question is up for grabs. Uh, So it's anybody's guess where this could go. Could be affirmed, could be denied, could be that the lower court's decision is vacated altogether. It's kind of a grab bag of possible outcomes at this stage. And But ultimately, you'll go to the Supreme Court. I would think that no matter what ruling comes mm-hmm. out of this, that both parties, will, either party, either side of it would have that decision looked at by the Supreme Court. 
who, again, they don't necessarily have to take that case. It depends on what the outcome is at the lower court. depends on what the coalition might be, uh, what the, the straw count might be at the Supreme Court level, uh, which, which brings back this recent phenomenon of, of Justice Roberts being sort of the front man for trying to continue to maintain the appearance of legitimacy for the United States yeah. Supreme Court. Um, that would definitely come into play with a case on these merits. So Marge, how does this play out politically? I mean, uh, Jim's laid out the legal arguments. There's, this is also a very much a political fight. Oh, totally. I mean, we ran on it uh, in 2018 pretty successfully and didn't hurt uh, Hillary's case in, in 2016. But in 2018, um, we won on health care in a lot of districts. Those districts we flipped. Lauren Underwood uh, and, and a lot of other candidates, Betsy Londrigan uh, downstate here in Illinois, but a lot of c candidates nationally who won say that they launched their campaign in their homes when they watched all those old white men celebrate taking away our health care. And when I say our, I speak for women because we're particularly vulnerable uh, on a health care front. Um, and women uh, don't have the earning power of men, don't have the ability to get the kind of jobs and stability uh, that, that give you solid employer-based insurance. Um, so women are more vulnerable than men, and they protect uh, often single moms with children statistically have more family to be concerned about, too. So, um, But it's a problem for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think you're right about people who stick in bad jobs because it gives them insurance, and at the same time, people of a certain age who might be ready to retire or to work part-time um, and take hourly jobs, maybe, and don't need a full salary, they need the insurance. I, I can count, uh, take me more than one hand to count people I know who are working only for the insurance, not to mention the people who can't get jobs and get insurance. Um, I, the statistic I heard yesterday, um, the majority of hourly wage workers, and I don't remember the exact number, 60-something, uh, report that their wage fluctuates, their income fluctuates month to month by as much as 30%. Now, how are you going to cover your insurance policies when your wages, your family income fluctuates 30% mm -hmm. month to month? And that's hourly workers. $15 an hour isn't even going to do it for them. So uh, you, you look at how what a house of cards uh, this economy is and the underpinnings of insurance, which isn't even that great. Yeah, It's expensive still, but we get it. We're covered. Uh, well, you were talking before. I was on the way over here listening to you guys talk about this environmental speech. I didn't actually hear it, but I guess it was something that you, you, you were going over this earlier oh, in the show yeah. a couple of times where the, but the, the, I think must've been Frank Luntz polling about yeah, just, just go out and say something about yeah, it. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. But, yeah. but so here would be a perfect issue where mm -hmm. whoever it is, whether it's Senate candidates trying to unseat Republicans or hopefully there's more house seats to be flipped in this country. Uh, and especially the, the 2020 presidential candidate, you can't let the Trump messaging get away with just the, the veneer of you're going to have great health care. Don't worry, it's coming. I mean, they need to hammer home the idea that I'm, I'm sure you're right that in 2016, it didn't hurt President or, uh, Hillary Clinton uh, in, her, in her run to become president. But also, I think there were people who just did believe the notion that Donald Trump, because he just said it, yeah. that there would be some kind of a replacement. Yeah. Well, now you've got a track record. Now it's going right. to be three and a half years plus and nothing, no serious proposal. And even the attempts to repeal didn't work. But even when they were attempting it, 
They never, they never actually gave you anything. So they can't stop reminding everyone that you will lose protections for pre-existing conditions. You will have to pay more for your deductibles. You, there will be, I mean, even the lifetime cap thing. You think about the few people who have catastrophic injuries, I, the kind of people I represent sometimes, the, that's a, a forgotten little footnote in this. The ACA made it illegal for insurance companies to say, you only get $5 million of insurance coverage for your life. And that's it. When it runs out, you have no insurance anymore. That's not legal right now. But they'll go back to that if this law is invalidated. It's, it's things like that they have to keep reminding people. Like, these are the actual economic issues that you have to care about, that you will lose them if they're able to repeal this law or replace it with something that I can only imagine will be much worse. By the way, Jim, when, when I, I just thought of something. Uh, if the Trump, it's like you said, the, the Justice Department has laid out its sword in this case. Who are the defendants and who are the plaintiffs? Uh, I think it's it's basically the Republican, gov- Republican governor slash attorneys general are the ones who have sued to say this this lawsuit is uh, unconstitutional or this law is unconstitutional. Democrat attorneys general had to step in and defend it. The Democratic attorney general of the state of Texas. Uh, de- no, nationwide. Nationwide. So, so all 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 right. all Democratic attorney generals are the ones that are keeping health care alive in this country at this stage. And I think that the House Democrats, whatever council they hire, I think there's some format of having attorneys on their behalf have joined in that. So like Kwame Raoul would be one of the you know attorneys mm-hmm. general who's defending this case. Uh, and uh, so let, I, I think, Marge, that would be a winning issue for the Democrats. No doubt in my mind to, mm-hmm. to end this show on that point. I do believe uh, that would be a winning issue. The, the Democrats are really nervous about how much they want to go toward uh, making Medicare for all and eliminating all private insurance. Their Democrats come into the studio or all both sides of that issue cautioning me, Ben, you're going too far. <laughs> Don't push for uh, Medicare for all and take away private insurance. Trump will use that to get reelected. Uh, but I think that uh, Democrats stand united and it's a good issue. To, you, if you just blow up Obamacare right now, it's effectively going to put how many millions of people out of, out of insurance. And it'll destroy this economy. I have no doubt it'll destroy the economy that he thinks is running so well. It's going to take all these families, um, m- many of them baby boomers, aging baby boomers who are working only until they get Medicare. But in the meantime, you know, no other options or people who are self-pay until they get Medicare. Um, and as I said before, the, the hourly wage workers, families, um, the lifetime, the lifetime cap is a great point. You think about, um, I have dear friends who daughter diagnosed with cancer at age 16 um they're hitting their they they're gonna hit their cap pretty fast a a family who has two uh solid earning parents and did a gofundme to help cover insurance and things that weren't covered by insurance i you know uh, there's a we're all uh just uh the aca away from Real tragedy yeah. for many of us. Yeah, they think it's a joke. Sometimes the Republicans, they think these lawsuits, and it's like they get so caught up uh, in their own uh, little wars, you know, to, we're going to show Barack Obama. And then. How many of the 20 to 30 million public aid recipients who have only gotten that public aid since it was expanded under this bill mm-hmm. are Republican yeah. voters? They're their own voters. I mean,. You know, who are you representing? All in those this coal miners, they never put back to work. Right. Because those jobs aren't coming back That's no matter right. how much you hope. They're depending on ACA. All right, Marge Hopper and Jim Coogan, thanks so much for coming on. One more time, Marge, uh, give folks the information uh, for the big rally Saturday, this weekend. 
Saturday morning, the 13th, this Saturday, 11 a.m. at Daly Plaza, we are gathering to fight the cruel and inhumane deportation and uh, overall immigration policies. We are preparing for ICE raids to happen in our own city. What's happening in the border, uh, clearly inhumane, disgusting, and a crime uh, in itself. But what's about to happen here in our city when those raids are unleashed really is a is a a streak of terror that's going to hit our city um, as ICE comes through and, and tears families apart right here in our own city. So please join us Saturday morning at Daly Plaza, a coalition of 40 community groups who are working to protect immigrants and support true American values, immigrant families like our own who make this country better. Daly Plaza, 11 a.m. on Saturday. Thank you very much, Marge Halpern and Jim Coogan. It's always a blast having you in the studio. Uh, thanks for coming by. I want to give a shout out to Leah. She did a great job, as she always does. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And you know, Jim, what they call him down in Alton, don't you? Tell us again, Ben. White Lightning. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Dear D, give yourself a raise. Take it off. You didn't even say his name. My you are so Dennis. excited. Man, call him Dennis. I'm That's Dennis. what they call him. <laughs> no, they call him White Lightning. I swear to God, it's true. Anyway. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Hey, uh, downloaders, you know we live stream this show, right? It's true. Tuesday through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com. Find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on both Facebook and Twitter, the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram.